Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Niels Van Roy. Hello. Yeah. How are you? Thank How you, very are you much doing? For me. Can you uh, can you tell the audience sort of who you are and what you do? Um, well, in short, uh, I'm a car designer, and I've spe- specialized in car design for coach building. So I've worked for the industry for a bit, and since have uh, specialized within car design on uh, coach building, and um, that's what we're doing. So we're Making car designs basically like tailor-made suits, specifically yeah. designed around the needs and the wishes of one specific owner. Cool, cool. How? Okay, so let's take me back to the beginning. How did how did you get into car design? What's your sort of journey been through to date? I, I studied design in the Netherlands, as mm-hmm. you uh, surely can hear. Uh, I'm uh, from the Netherlands, <laughs> uh, and I studied design there. Then I um, was lucky enough to be enrolled into the Royal College of Art in London. Okay. Likely, I think, uh, the oldest car design master degree that is uh, out there in the world. I think they sort of invented car design as a separate course uh, from industrial design. Uh, had a fantastic two years studying there at the RCA. And I mean, obviously, London is, is a great place to be. Uh, and as a car designer, uh, you know, biking around uh, yeah. my 30-pound bike uh, <laughs> in between, you know, Rolls Royces and Ferraris and Bentleys, that's, uh, you know... Uh, the perfect inspiration, and uh, maybe some of your listeners will know, uh, the Royal College of Art is situated in the heart of London, so very uh, close to, uh, so underneath Hyde Park, let's say, opposite of the Royal Art Hall. I mean, it's just a beautiful location to uh, to be, and uh, London is a fantastic place to live. I didn't live in South Kensington, though. Uh, I, I lived <laughs> in different places around London as a student. And after my two years at the RCA, I, uh, I started working for the car industry from London as well. And uh, then sort of gradually uh, started to do more and more work uh, for myself as, as, a, as a sole trader, let's say, still for the car industry. And um, then I decided, well, you know, this is super nice. Met awesome people did some awesome projects, but nothing I can discuss. And as a, <laughs> as a you know, small business owner, that is a bit of a challenge because yeah. you basically uh, have nothing to show. Uh, you've never done anything and you haven't worked on anything. 
So, you know, it, it went okay, but I was like, well, this is not going to last forever. Uh, if something, you know, if something stops, which is something that happens often in the car industry, uh, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that lasts forever. Uh, many projects are canceled uh, within the car industry. Um, not a lot of people know, but for instance, the Volvo XC90, uh, the SUV, a big SUV from Volvo, the first generation, it was designed three times, basically. Uh, okay. Only the third iteration was then actually put into production. So this happens a lot. Uh, projects are canceled for yeah. whatever reasons, geopolitical reasons or whatever. And uh, then you have nothing. You don't even have a project, right? So you've worked <laughs> on the car for two years, three years, and then nothing, right? So I was like, okay, this is this is a bit of a risk. And let's, let's have a look at what I could do. And that actually, apart from being a, a great project, is also something I could put in my portfolio and uh, show around to uh, potential customers, other people. And then, well, coach building was one of uh, my interests. And I, uh, I dived into that. And quite literally within two weeks of me saying, okay, I'm going to see if there is a possibility within coach building, I got this message uh, from a gentleman saying, well, you know, maybe this is a bit of a weird question, but I've got this friend and, uh, yeah, he has this Model S and, uh, you know, this Tesla and he, he kind of is looking for a car designer, but I, I don't think there's anything that you would be interested in, Niels, is it? And I was like, well, yeah, I think <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think it is, actually. So that's how that, uh, that project started. Yeah. I've seen uh, our Model S-based uh, shooting brake conversion, and it's a car that was, was used as a daily since. So the, the owner is super happy with this, with this car. And it really started things for me as well uh, as a car designed for coach yeah. building uh, specialist, so to speak. And since then, um, yeah, some, some fantastic clients have um, put their cars in, in my driveway, so to speak, <laughs> and said, okay, Niels, uh, you know, these are my plans. Or in other cases, they say, well, you know, I, uh, I'd like to do a project, but, you know, uh, can you help me out? Because I, yeah, I, I don't really know where to start. And, um, yeah, that's, that's been the journey, basically. So wow. that, that Model S has been uh, important for, uh, you know, getting, getting things started and getting the the snowball that's the one i've come across before the, this yeah. green model s yeah right, can we yeah. can we dive back into a bit of the past there's just some things sure. i want to ask you about uh, yeah. like sort of very early on so when you're studying car design mm-hmm. what you know what does that look like if someone was going to go study car design now i'm, I'm presuming it's somewhat similar you know, how do, how do they approach it? Do you go and look at like the first car and then come forward from them? Or, you know, how how, do, how does it sort of get taught? What do you have to do? It's uh, at the Royal College of Art, it's only mm. postgraduate. So you'll have to have a, a bachelor in design or car design okay. before you are able to apply to the Royal College of Art. Um, so so it's it's not necessarily the, the school, let's say, where you would learn how to draw a car Okay. We would learn what industrial design is or what car design is. You really have to have a solid base, a mm. solid portfolio of work that you've done before. Um, I had classmates that worked for Green Farina, for instance, and yeah. then came studying at the RCA. Okay. Uh, some people had really worked for the industry before they came to the RCA. I studied uh, industrial design in the Netherlands. Uh, very specifically, I, I chose for that because I wanted to have a very wide sort of base and background mm. before I would specialize in car design. The, the way of thinking within car design is a bit different than it is compared to industrial design. And um, it, it's an interesting sort of base to have before all 
That's at least what I thought. Uh, and I, I still, I'm quite happy with that choice, actually. Yeah. Before you uh, specialize in, uh, in super specific industrial design, when, okay. when, when you, you, I studied mechanical engineering for a bit and then decided mm-hmm. to be a photographer and stuff like that. When you're studying industrial design, what, like, that sounds like quite a broad mm-hmm. topic. What sort yeah. of things are you learning about? I would say it's mainly the human being. So everything that's, and that is still extremely important when in car design. Um, I, uh, I worked, for instance, on the, on the future London taxi right oh, okay. after I graduated from the RCA. And uh, this was with the Helen, Helen Center for Design, which is a uh, sort of a, a university-linked uh, mm. company, one could say, uh, linked to the Royal College of Art. And that's a fantastic project, but the, the human being is central there. So, uh, sure, a taxi is a vehicle, but it's, it's used by a driver mm. in front of the car and used by a passenger in the back. And uh, sure, that's very obvious, but you have to understand that this driver is there for 10, 12 hours straight, right? Like yeah. the, the tiniest little thing that is perhaps ergonomically incorrect is going to be a massive burden on this driver. Mm. And the passengers are there for maybe five to 10 minutes. So getting in and out is perhaps maybe even more important than sitting super comfortably. Yeah. Right? So these are two very different worlds that come together in one car. And to have a background in automotive design in that project uh, would have been perhaps a bit less, less relevant compared yeah. to having a background in industrial design because there the human being as sort of a central focal point is super important. And again, it is in car design, but it's just two slightly different approaches. So I think there it helped that I had this, this sort of human-centered yeah. design um, vision going into the project. When you, when you get in a car, you're like super anal about all these small details. You're like, why that button? That, that button is rubbish. Why exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and if we're talking about the, the London taxi, the outgoing model yeah. had so many flaws for, for the driver specifically. So they were sitting at a slight angle behind the steering wheel. Oof. Which is not a problem if you're, you know, in your car driving to work, perhaps. Yeah. But if your car is your office and you're there for, like I said, 10, 12 hours straight, then it's really, it's terrible, you know. Mm. So a lot of taxi drivers have back issues, have neck issues, have shoulder issues because they're not sitting straight behind the wheel. Mm. And um, yeah, these are uh, fundamental flaws that we work very hard on, on that project to to iron them out. And we work with a lot of taxi drivers, for instance. So we. We built a so-called buck, so like a, a full-scale model, let's say, of yeah. the car uh, made out of wood, uh, which we could very easily adapt and change with just, you know, getting out some screws and changing the hinges or whatever, putting the seat a bit higher, a bit lower, changing the A-pillar, the rake of the A-pillar, so how flat the windscreen is, all these things. Um, and the same that we did for the passengers in the back, so working with different size ramps for wheelchairs. Uh, one of the great uh, ideas actually behind the current London taxi, or let's say the outgoing car, was that it was accessible for everybody, so including people in wheelchairs. I mean, that, that's super unique, and that's that's something uh, Londoners have that they don't really, uh, they, they take for granted. But get into a taxi in New York, and you'll get into, well, uh, in the old days, a Crown Victoria, yeah. uh, you know, or now it's uh, like a Ford Explorer or whatever, even the price. But with a wheelchair, you're just not going to get it anywhere, you know. And the same goes in the Netherlands or in Germany, where you hail a Mercedes-Benz E-Class, but, you know, they're not inclusively designed cars. Um, so sort of base vehicle, let's say, or the starting point yeah. as such, was great, but there was also a lot to be improved. And uh, that was a, a very enjoyable project to work on. 
and um, you know to get my hands dirty. So it's quite in our industry. It's quite interesting because I've, I've I've never really thought about that. Let's say from a from a taxi point of view, you get mm-hmm. in, you're like, oh, this is quite comfy. If yeah. it's, if you let's say you've got an Uber Lux and it's an S class, mm-hmm. but and a London cabs have generally not been that comfy. But mm-hmm. like you said, they are designed to get in and out of really easily. Whereas now with the sort of push of Uber and stuff like that in London, you get a lot of Priuses and things like that, which yeah. are much smaller. Or, you know, you're in the States and you get into a, a yellow taxi and they're tiny in the back and you don't really have any space. Exactly. And it, it's funny how they've picked certain cars have ended up doing yeah. the jobs, like a mm. Prius just because, but actually exactly. as a passenger vehicle, it's not that good. It's not no. I mean, it's great for the driver because they're fuel uh, efficient, especially compared yeah. to the Crown Victoria they had before. <laughs> you know, uh, idling a massive what is it, four point something liter V eight in uh, New York traffic. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to get you anywhere fast uh, except for to the uh, the gas station perhaps. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it just wasn't the right car, and it's just a lot of decisions are made because they were made before by somebody, and people are not questioning the question. Mm. Right, and and that's something very important in uh, in car design. Like, why are we doing this? You know, uh, let's let's question what we are doing and why we're doing this. Before we're just iterating, making a yeah. slight change here or there, making it a bit prettier or uh, you know look a bit better or whatever. But why are we doing this? That's really important. And uh, I guess that's uh, that's the most fascinating thing for me uh, within car design is the question behind the question. That's, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at stuff like having fresh minds as well like looking mm-hmm. at problems i can't remember there was something i was talking to my other half about yesterday and she was like oh well we normally do this and i was like yeah but i i, I kind of don't care like let, yeah. let's look at it from a do we want to do this or do we not want to do this is this good not rather than these are the things we've done over time exactly. yeah and it's hard for the human brain to uh, to wrap itself around that sometimes, you know, to to change with what is convenient, perhaps, or change with what has been done for for ages in some cases. And uh, the car is a you know, in a way, a very traditional vehicle in in, in many regards. Mm. And uh, you see that is the car industry is pushing a little bit too hard for the perception of let's say the market of others. You get a massive pushback, right? I mean. Yeah. Uh, if I just say Fiat Multipla, a lot of people will go like, whoa, you know. Uh, I saw no. one yesterday. And, uh, you know, th- this was actually a fantastic piece of design on all different levels. But yeah. just because it didn't sort of do the exact same things that yeah. the previous cars were doing, which they were actually doing not that good, but the Multipla did them better. But for that looked a bit different, that's already enough to alienate a lot of potential prospect clients, let's say. That's that's a really tricky one. That must be a really tricky one as, as a designer. Like. It is. It's like because if you don't innovate enough, right, you get the, the story of the, the Jaguar XJ, for instance. Yeah. Beautiful car, right? So many generations, and they were all beautiful cars, but they just didn't sell. Well, at least not enough to keep you know Jaguar afloat, yeah. and and nothing compared to the S class or the Seven Series or whatever. And then Ian Cullum came along with the, the now already uh, seized last Jaguar XJ, last generation. And he really just, you know, he broke with, with, let's say, the burden of tradition just because that first XJ, the first series, uh, was first launched, was a beautiful car, just, in a way, copy and pasting it in, you know, surely beautiful bodies, but just not relevant enough for what was going on around 
that car in the world, right? So it's not the car is not just a car in a in a vacuum. It it, it functions in a world that is continuously changing. Yeah. So to not change with that market, to not change with your customers, it's it's devastating for the product or for the brand in the end. But yeah, indeed, changing it too much, fiat multiplier, changing too rapidly, yeah. too much at you know at once, it's going to alienate people too. So there's this very thin line of innovation versus traditionalism and uh, brand heritage, brand DNA. Um, that's that's very hard to. Um, you know, to walk, uh, make decisions. Such a fine balance because you see it. You see it with these the companies that have been around forever, mm-hmm. and uh, let's let's say Porsche nine eleven. People, yeah. there's sort of some people go, oh, it's just you know, it's the same car, just iterated, iterated. But actually, for me, who's someone who loves the nine eleven, they mm. they have got better. Everyone has been better and better and better. Absolutely. And then you yeah. look at some brands that have been around for a long time, and then they haven't. They haven't actually pushed it. They're just the same, 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 same. Yeah. And then, let's say, someone like Aston Martin. I feel like they've made amazing cars over time, or amazing looking cars, sounding cars, good mm-hmm. components. And then they do. We get to the point now where these cars are suddenly going. Okay, we're going to go V six, and people like me just go. And I'm never going to buy one. They, <laughs> or Ferrari are doing the same thing. They're pushed by these regulations. They're going to go. Yeah into a v6 rather than a v8 yeah. and they're going to say oh but it's a thousand horsepower and whatever and yeah. i think yeah. most customers are just going to go yes and i don't care like it's well again this is this is the difficult thing right like remember porsche uh, came out with the pm uh, that's already yeah. like they got so much abuse for that exactly i mean they were like okay customers said you know i'll never buy a porsche again it is the car that saved porsche i mean everybody mm. knows this and we're now in the in the third generation and the ford is being made you know so this car has has made it possible for Porsche to still make the most amazing driver cars and and to still make a very good 911 in like a million different states. Yeah. No. And looking back on what people said, they would do, as in never buy a Porsche, never yeah. buy a Cayenne. And what car journalists said, you know, when this the, the first uh, car came out, the first Cayenne came out, they also said, I mean, this is terrible. I mean, this, is, <laughs> yeah. this is, has nothing to do with a Porsche. Blah 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 blah. But again. It, they're here and they're stronger than ever. And it's probably one of the brands that makes most money uh, compared yeah. to all other uh, manufacturers. They have a, you know, a very, very healthy profit now. And that wasn't really the case before that car came along. You know, obviously, you know, this, the, the story of the Boxster and the 911 at the time yeah. sharing basically the entire front end. And, you know, uh, they had to make some very uh, smart design decisions to keep the brand afloat. And again, this is design as well. It's not just making cars pretty. It's strategic thinking. You know, yeah. what's, what, what is next? Not just the next model, but it's what is happening after that and how can we achieve that? And how can mm. we work with zero money and still have an amazing product portfolio going from just one car, the 911, to a Boxster entry-level Porsche, but we don't really have model uh, money to develop two models. So how can we do this smartly? How can we still differentiate the two, right? Um, it's, it's highly complex stuff, uh, but very interesting. And yeah. uh, it shows also that money doesn't necessarily... It's not necessarily the driving force. Uh, Porsche being very short on money made very, very smart decisions. Yeah. And now, 20 years later, they are where they are now. But it's because of Harm Nagai, a Dutch chief designer at the time, actually, working on the, the, the egg-shaped yeah. uh, headlights, for instance, right? <laughs> that saved them a lot of money. And yeah, people had an opinion, but they sold enough cars to 
to make it happen. Yeah, so, and it's it's interesting when you look at the the sort of the noise that you hear, which mm-hmm. will be car journalists and people that just want to be vocal, which is yeah. actually let's say you take like a, a video watched on the internet. If if it's got a hundred thousand views, there might be a thousand likes and four hundred dislikes. Well, that's a very mm. tiny percentage of the people that have even bothered to click like or dislike. Exactly. You then take the bother the percentage of people that have bothered to comment, and mm-hmm. it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of this thing. But yeah. that's what everyone focuses on, and exactly. everyone all this noise, like the Cayenne, for example, all the people that are saying, "I'm never going to buy. I would never buy a Cayenne. It's the end mm. of Porsche." Like. Mm. They were never going to buy that car anyway. Anyway, probably, exactly. Like it's, yeah. they're pointless. Like yeah. the switch is, switch to automatic transmissions or PDK transmissions. If we sure. sort of down the Porsche route, yeah. And everyone going, oh, like I'm never going to buy another Porsche or whatever, and yeah. I, I only want to have a manual and yada 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 yada. And actually, yeah. a lot of these people are not buying new Porsches anyway. Like exactly. these cars yeah. have had the options forever, and there's mm. a reason. 50 out of 5,000 are manual. Now, I like the fact yeah. that they do make them. Sure. But yeah. the buyers are just going out and buying them. Exactly. And, and that's what's making the money in the end. So the customer is never wrong, you know, is, is a saying that is heard, heard sometimes in the design studio, which is sometimes highly frustrating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in the end, uh, it's it's money that makes the brand, uh, you know, be able to, to exist and, and develop another uh, new model. And, you know, developing a car is between, let's say, half a billion and, and one and a half billion euros. So yeah. the investments are, are incredible and the risks are huge, you know. Uh, and then you have to sell a, you know, a goal for like, a, well, what do they cost in the UK? Yeah. 25K, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, but, you know, yeah, somebody somebody signed up 1.5 billion right, <laughs> before that happened, you know, before you went into that showroom. And, and it's not that the 25K goes directly into the pocket of, of Volkswagen, you know, there's the dealer and there's the importer yeah. and there's the marketing and there's, you know, it's, it's a difficult business and uh, it's what makes it interesting because it, it only gets more complex now, you know, with, yeah. with the connectivity, with, with uh, driver, less cars, uh, so to speak, between brackets, right? There, there's so much happening in the industry. I always say it's either, let's say a hundred years ago when it all started or now, you know, th- th- these are the two key sort of times within car design to be to be in you know yeah. so I, I feel blessed that i uh, just happened to be the right place at, uh, at the right time yeah it's it's cool so right so you you studied industrial design and then you went to the royal college of art yeah and yeah. you're saying there's there's some people that for example have been at like pininfarina and then yeah. went to study at the rock why would someone who's already got a job in designing stuff mm-hmm go back to study again I guess or, because, or continue to study? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's because, well, the, the RCA is um, rather well established, I would say. And um, it, once you're there, you're also, you know, I've got a fantastic network now. Mm. Uh, a couple of my fellow former classmates, they're now designers at Rolls-Royce, others are designers at McLaren, at Jaguar. They're, yeah. they're all over the place. That's what happens, you know. People from all over the world come to London for two years. They don't see London. It, it sounds like a glamorous <laughs> study, but you're just either inside of the RCA or yeah. inside of your tiny little student flat or sketching cards. But apart from that, uh, right? So you come into London, you, you leave London again, you go to whichever car brands, uh, and, and these people are there then, and they become chief designers in like 5, 10, 15 years. And that's why you go to the RCA, because they have this amazing network. You know, I, 
ideas, uh, projects with Rolls-Royce there, uh, classmates projects with, with McLaren. Uh, you know, uh, Merrick Dreichman came over from uh, Aston Martin, chief designer. We, we had the most amazing uh, tutors there. Why? Because they all studied there, for instance, yeah. right? They just come back to where they once were because it's, you know, great seeing old, old mates. And they, yeah, they, they, they meet each other on, on motor shows, although that now is maybe not happening, but uh, motor shows are, again, yeah. these gathering places for car designers too. And it's, the RCA is where, where it starts, right? So um, apart from the network, it's also the, the tutors that come and the, the car brands that have very, very close connections to the, to the, to the, to the college and do projects and, and from their uh, internships and then jobs in the end. So it's yeah, there are many good reasons to uh, to go and uh, no, it's, it, it makes it. makes complete sense, and I I think a lot of people like to sort of push down the impact that having a, a network makes and saying like oh people only hire their friends and you know, but that is the sort of reality at the end of the day. Like yeah. If you've met someone and and seen them on and off, even if you don't know them very well for yeah. three years. And then in five years' time, you're like, I need someone, and they do that. You'll look at a bunch of people, but you already know them, so you've you know whether you're going to like them on some level or not. Exactly. And again, coming back to what I said earlier, you know, uh, you have to work with this team. You, you're going to work on on the newest baby, right? Mm. On the newest creation for whichever brand, and they're going to spend this enormous amount of money based on a sketch, right? That, is that how it starts? <laughs> you know, there's some guy somewhere. On the desk, you know, sketching away, and then the chief designer comes by and he says, "Well, this is the key sketch. This is what we're going to do. Mm. This is our next 1.5 billion, you know, investment." Yeah. And you better work with people that are trustworthy, right? That you know, yeah. and that, that you know that can deliver on the pressure. So, sure, that network is is rather key. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's interesting. This is pretty cool. So, okay, so you studied a bit more and then you started working for some companies designing cars that you, you can't really talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the downside of, of the car design business. Yeah. That, like, how wide can you talk about? Presumably, obviously, you, you can tell your friends that you work for so-and-so or whatever, but, like, you can't publicly Yeah, well, I even I tried to not do that. Because I, I just don't think it's good practice. You know, you sign an NDA and sure, you can you can trust your spouse or your best friends perhaps, but I just, I, I think it's sort of a slipping slope. And, yeah. um, you know, if people say they trust you, you should, you know, uh, give them the uh, the trust back in a way, right? You just say, okay, this is, yeah. this is something I don't speak about. And uh, that's, again, very challenging as being a businessman. So that's why I, let's say, push back a bit on the car industry mm. and are focusing now I'm focusing now on the uh, the coach building activities, yeah. and and you know I can talk about that, so <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe a bit more interesting for the podcast. Yeah, or well, I guess at least you you can't talk about it much whilst you're doing it, but then when as soon as it's done, you can say whatever the hell you like. Not, not even in some cases, it's you know um, marketing wise, for instance, it's not okay. ideal if uh, third party designers have worked on a certain project, even yeah. if it's just a bit, but. Yeah, you know, if if brand X has a every every brand has their own design studio now. In the old days, uh, studios like Bertone or Pininfarina did a lot of work, but most of the brands, most of the big OEMs have their own design studios now. And if then a, a third party has worked on their new car, mm-hmm. uh, the new Golf, the new uh, Kia Seat, whatever, and uh, this third party designer has uh, you know 
He's waving around his, uh, his sketchpad. <laughs> I said, look, you know, this is what I did a couple of years ago. It's, it's not ideal, obviously, for their no, market no. environment. So even even after the car is finished, it's uh, it's not really uh, a thing to do. No. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so coach building. Coach yeah. building in 2020, what is – has it changed much from the beginning of coach building, which I guess was – what, can you explain what it is? Yeah, yeah. So coach building, in, in the old days, you would never just go to the dealer and buy a car. You would go and buy a chassis, so a rolling chassis, right? An mm. engine, uh, a gearbox, a couple of wheels, and that was about it. And the grills, so you would get your grill at, you know, buy a Rolls-Royce chassis, and uh, the grill would always be the same, yeah. or Bugatti chassis. And then you would go to your coach builder, literally the guy who used to build your coach, right? <laughs> your horse and carriage, and uh, you said, you know, like I... Uh, I sold my horses, but I've got this other thing. And, uh, you know, uh, could you do something for me? That's how it started. And then obviously later on when mass production started to come in and, and before it had his invention of, uh, let's say, the conveyor belt and uh, mass producing cars, mass producing bodies in a house as well, coach building died off slowly but surely. And uh, now I would say there's some sort of a renaissance going on because with the current cars that are out there and they they form excellent base vehicles to work on so we, we don't necessarily work on chassis as such so we you yeah. know a client brings in a, a complete uh, just a normal driving car that can be anything uh, the tesla we've discussed but or v12 cars from italy or whatever yeah. uh, you know uh, we work on all sorts of, of cars and we take them apart. Um, I don't do that myself. I work with a fantastic group of people who are very specialized in, in specific brands. So, um, you know, an Italian car is a very different car than a, a British car, the way yeah. it's been put together and the materials used and the production technologies used. And like, when there is wood inside, you know, you have to have a, a specialist on that as well. So there are many, many different specialists in the field. But it boils down to the same essence in a way. So people have their dreams and like a tailor-made suit, we design the car around their needs, around their wishes, around their lifestyle, and sometimes around their own car collection, for instance, mm. to match a car they already have and uh, or to match, uh, uh, in a way, an idea they have, but a car they don't have yet. So uh, the essence of coach building in that sense hasn't changed, uh, apart from the fact we now work on completed vehicles, right? So a, yeah. a, a mass-produced car, basically, that we then take apart. And that can be either a complete rebody. So we're working, for instance, on a car we call the Brad Van Homage. And uh, that is a car that only the windscreen will be OEM when the car is finished. So, <laughs> what's, that, what's that based on? Is it like a, a 550 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, so every single body panel is either heavily changed or completely removed, like cut off and yeah. hand beaten in aluminium in this case, some clients, again, uh, would like a carbon fiber body. This yeah. client likes the fact there's a bit of romance, let's say, to a hand-beaten car. Yeah. Uh, like the old days with, with hammers and you know, all sorts of little tools. Uh, and it's, it, it's very beautiful to see that coming together. And yeah, this client was very keen on having, also because it's historically significant for that specific car, or yeah. the original, let's say, original bread fan was hand-beaten uh, based on a two seater front engine v12 from italy and we're doing the same again so the, the reason for that specific base car is because it was the return of the brand maranello to a front engine v12 with a manual transmission because after the daytona they didn't build anything for i think 23 years by heart 
So this this was a is a very significant car for the brand. Yeah. So obviously they had V12s like the Testarossa or whatever, but they were all rear engine cars. Mm. So not anymore these let's say gentlemen drivers, gentlemen races. Yeah. yeah. These lovely proportions. So um, yeah, that's why we picked that car. And obviously it had to be a manual, so no flappy pedal uh, yeah. stuff there. It, it's a beautiful platform to work on, and uh, that car is like I said, a very very significant change. It's, yeah, I, don't, I think we're working on it for two and a half years now. Um, so it, it's quite a project, and you know it includes new, basically new everything, new headlights, uh, new bonnets, fenders, doors, uh, and a complete rear end, new uh, the roof line. So side windows, everything's bespoke, uh, at, except for that windscreen. And that's basically just, I mean, we, we could do that, but this is a car that likely the owner will like to drive. Yeah. And uh, imagine then, you know, uh, a stone windscreen. windscreen, and and then you have to wait for like six months for your new windscreen, uh, rather than just buying it off the shelf. So, you know, depending on the type of client, depending on the type of car, we, we make these decisions together. We advise our clients, well, you know, we can work around the original windscreen and make sure it, it doesn't really um, bother the design as such. And mm. So in, in design of the, the red fan, we've, we've made sort of a visor design that really runs around. So the, the daylight opening in car design language, the window graphic, uh, rather than being a, uh, as the current design is of the base car, the 550, is a, is a regular A-pillar starting from the yeah. uh, bottom of the windscreen and it runs over the roof. But we, we turn it around in a way, right? So we make it more horizontal. We include a bit sort of like a, a mini uh, does have a blacked out A-pillar or a Range Rover has a blacked out A-pillar. Yeah. It reads the graphic horizontally and uh, the window graphic. So that's a similar uh, trick we're doing, um, making sure that um, the, the front window, the windscreen, does look like something completely different than it actually is. Yeah, and uh, and then it makes it more way more practical, right? So so this owner can now really enjoy the car without worrying about a little, you know, a stone chip in his windscreen yeah. that would ruin it. Uh, driving pleasure for him. So yeah, again, yeah. that that's car design too to to think about what is relevant, make continuously relevant choices within the project. So sometimes you have to change things, right? For instance, the headlights. Uh, we we did many sketches on that car. We actually share on a weekly basis on our social media on the specific um, place where we are, let's say, with that car. So yeah. uh, all the sketches, first of all, acquiring the base car, the briefing, the sketches, everything we share. So people can look that, you know, look, look into the sketches and all the decisions we've made. And one of the decisions was to, to design bespoke headlines because we actually initially designed around the OEM, OEM headlines. Mm. And then you see a very interesting car, but the, the base car's headlines are, are so recognizable that people go like, ah, oh, yeah, so that's... You know, a 550 with something okay, you know, built on the back, it, yeah. right? Um, whether you would change every single body panel, these, these headlights are like the eyes to, to a human being, right? So they're so recognizable. So we said, okay, you know, we have to change the headlights so they don't distract from the design anymore. Yeah. And we needed a bit more space for the two nostrils that are very typical on the, on the red fan, in the, in the lower end of the bonnets, these large nostrils. And they would be a bit too much pinched in a bit too much squeezed into the bottom end of the nose if we didn't have changed the original headlines. So on, on different levels, we had to do that. And I, I really think it, it, it helps the car a lot. Um, I yeah. mean, actually, I, I've seen them finished. Uh, we haven't <laughs> shared them yet. But yeah, it's, it's just these little things that, that really make design come together and, and make it into one cohesive sculpture because that's, yeah. in the end, what a car is. It's a kinetic sculpture, if you like. 
driving sculpture. Yeah. Are there some technologies? Are you working with sort of I don't know the newest stuff right now? Does that massively help with this process, or has the process not changed too much in the last twenty years? As in uh, the production of the car, in, in production and design. Uh, it depends again on the project and on the client. So beating a body uh, with a hammer is, is something uh, that was done 100 years ago. But yeah. some clients just love to see it, to, to see it grow and to see the coach builder working on it. And, and we're also working on a, a, a beautiful car based on the Rolls Royce Wraith, a shooting brake uh, conversion we haven't shared about yet. So yeah. it's a bit of a scoop here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's entirely made out of carbon fiber. Oh, cool. So there is the roof up until the the boot area is one piece of carbon fiber. It's Ooh. absolutely huge. So a pillar all the way back, all over the roof. Yeah, and it's this super nicely, softly sculpted shape. And I mean, if you're standing next to the the molds of that car, it's like you're standing next to, let's say, an S class Mercedes. Yeah. Uh, when I was discussing it with uh, with uh, the builders at the time, uh, the coach builders, they actually. We were discussing like how big is this car now actually, right? How how, how large is a is a Wraith uh, compared to well, what is another big car? An S class, okay. So they took an S class cat model and placed it on top of our our model, and it was just it was done, right? So the, the Wraith is bigger. This this small, uh, uh, you know, sporty Rolls Royce, uh, yeah, it's huge. Is, is bigger than than S class. So it, it gives you a bit of an idea of how how uh, how large the car is physically. And that's obviously, again, something that as, as a car designer, you have to work with. You don't want to make it look like uh, some sort of uh, apartment block on wheels. Yeah. It has to be, you know, gracefully uh, and, and, and elegantly designed. And um, because, again, the car is so big, you can also use that to your advantage. So what we've done is we, we tapered the car, again, much like a suit is tapered around a waist. And we tapered the car very strongly around the upper so it means that the, the lines are super gracefully, uh, very classical, actually, compared to, uh, let's say, uh, more, more the cars that the brand was making in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Super, uh, creamy, let's say, softly rounded cars. And we can do that because it's big and, and it helps on different levels. So now, A, it doesn't look as big as it actually is. And B, because it's so big, you have actually space to taper it in very strongly around the heads of the passengers and to make the, the lines flow very elegantly and even go elongated towards the back. So, and you're held there, uh, to come back to the question, you're held through the materials you're working with. The, the carbon fiber material is, is very light, it's extremely strong, it's very stiff. So it, it helps to, to, to inform the design decisions. Yeah. So it, it's really something that the, the client decides about. And, and that obviously is something we do together. So we, we, we guide our, our clients through the, the process. And we prefer, for instance, to, to visit them at their homes, where they're most relaxed, where they're in between the things they love, the people they like, the, perhaps their car collection or any other collections. And, and these visits, these home visits, inform all the design decisions coming after. And um, to give you an example, our uh, Tesla-based shooting brake conversion it has a, um, uh, a selection of Easter eggs, of little surprises, so to speak. Yeah. And for for those who just are told about, okay, look at the glove compartment that is green, the same green as the exterior, people go, oh, yeah, that's funny. But to the owner, he knows the discussions we've had and that it linked to his beautiful old house, which is like uh, <laughs> 50 years old. 
And then he showed me his kitchen and he showed me a hidden button that opens up a wall, sort of James Bond style. So, you know, uh, he wouldn't destroy uh, the original feeling of that old house, but he wanted to make it more practical, so have a cabinet in the house, you know, and and, and these conversations, uh, the owner, the owner knows, right? So how many times do you open the glove compartment in your car, right? Yeah, like never. Like like maybe once or twice a year, right? Yeah. But he opens it up and then he's, yeah, he remembers that conversation, right? I discussed this with meals and I showed him my kitchen and, and this is how we came to this solution. And we, you discussed the green color. So we, this is a bespoke color. We designed 10 different shades of green. This is not just a green color because he likes green. There's a lot of you know, work and, and talking behind yeah. it. He, he said, I want to honor coach building. I want to show that through a Tesla-based, an electric car, coach building has the future. And because coach building once started basically in Great Britain, this car has to be British Racing Green Deals. Mm-hmm. So... I bought a British Racing Green Tesla, which are very rare and hard to come by because they only <laughs> yeah, made it, the they made like three of them. <laughs> and and I said, well, I think that's a beautiful story. But what do you think of the color? And he said, what, what do you mean? Well, I said, what, do, what do you think of the color you bought? You know, you bought your Tesla in British Racing Green. He said, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's not maybe the prettiest color green. Said, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, it's it's a very flat, dull uh, Yeah. Like there is no life to it. So I said, we're going to do this work together. The coach builder is going to put in his hours. I'm going to put in my hours. You're going to put in your hours because this is really a collaboration, a co-design process. Mm. It's it's not that I just throw in some sketches to the letterbox and say, well, you know, that's it and see you later. This is really something we do together. And then you're going to paint all that work, one year, one and a half year worth of work, into a color that ruins it all. <laughs> that's a bit of a shame right and he was like yeah yeah so what do you propose I said, well, let's see how we can design a color nothing extreme it's not about you know some crazy flip-flop tvr uh, chameleon yeah, thing. Yeah. It, it has to be subtle that's the beauty of coast building but still you should do a bit more to that paint than just choosing an oem paint so what we did was we developed these 10 different shades of green and then in the end what we did, this color has some gold flake to it, as you might have seen on some of the photos, which really helps to bring the car alive. The surfacing, so the skin of the car really comes alive through that paint. And that was really the goal. But then we put, and again, this is something nobody knows, then we put some super bright, like, hard green into it, only a tiny little bit, and that comes directly from the logo of his company. Right. And this is a company that he, he bought for a euro that, you know, was on the verge of bankruptcy. He was a young guy. He took a massive risk. And this is a beautiful company now. And that, that's his, you know, his life, basically. You wouldn't see that color, that bright green color, in like 99% of the times. But yeah. just sometimes, you know, he uses his car as a daily driver. He walks around the corner. The sunlight hits the car. And he sees his company standing there, you know. And that's a, that's a goosebump moment. That's like, that's cool. ah, yeah, that's it. That, now I remember it. This is how it started. And, you know. That, that's coach building. Yeah. You know, it, it's this, the, the question behind the question, the story behind the story. And, and this, is, this is why I had, had no clients yet that haven't come back. Yeah. So people, it's not about the car anymore, right? So the, the car is a nice end product. Yeah. But it really is about this, this, this journey that we go through together with high highs and sometimes low lows. You know, it, it's, it's difficult to design a car. It always is. But in the end, you've got 
this this journey to Luke Beckham. And and yeah, sure, you've got this fantastic car in the garage. On top of that, you know, it's the the icing on the cake, but the cake truly is that journey. And that's something that is so enjoyable to fortunately all the clients so far yeah. that either some of them are uh, so happy they before the car is finished, they already started another project. They go, like, wow, this is amazing. Now I've got another <laughs> idea. Niels, come on, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. And, and others, uh, they go, like, okay, uh, you know, let's, let's finish the car first, which is fair enough. And, uh, and then uh, they go, like, wow, you know, I really enjoyed this. And I'll put another idea. Could we do this or could we do that? Yeah, that, that's, that's the beauty of coach building that, you know, I can give people an experience that no OEM can give them. This co-design process where we are, uh, designing together, I'm their their ears, their hands, their eyes, mm. right? And and I absorb what they tell me and come back with what they can't put on paper themselves, basically, uh, with ideas. And uh, that's a uh, then a process that we go through towards uh, production, and they can witness how you know everything is done. And it's yeah, it's a beautiful process. And and the design doesn't stop basically up until we hand them the key, because obviously in in a year's time, people see things, people experiences people perhaps uh, have new furniture or listen to yeah. new music or art on the wall or whatever so this this is continuously so it's a like a growing process if you like a, a liquid process it, it doesn't have like hard borders where we stop certain things or you know um, that's the beauty of it it's it, it's really this beautiful journey that yeah that you go through together a very personal journey yeah, that, there's something I, I hadn't really thought about about this the coach building process is because if, if if I'm not building the car, for example, I will just see the final result and I will judge the car on whatever it is, sure, whatever a car. But like you said, like for the for the person that's bought it, uh, I can dial this down to such a small level. Over the last uh, probably like a week ago, I built one of those like Lego Technic Porsche RSRs, and it took. Uh-huh. It took ages. Well, it took like eight hours or something like that. Yeah. Six, six or seven, eight hours. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the process. Like mm-hmm. I, I was kind of slightly shocked by how much I was enjoying the process. And then yeah. I got to the end and you've got this finished product. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But then I was like, no, actually, I just want to do the process again. If I could just give it to someone, I was like, I just can, can I get some money back for this so that I can buy another one and start <laughs> the process yeah. again? Yeah. And it's probably why so many people get, a lot of enjoyment out of modifying cars or, and and, and there's definitely a huge part where I look at some, some cars that people have built, Mm -hmm. modified and whatever and go, well, you spent a crazy amount of money on that. Yeah. Versus the value of that particular car. Why didn't you just buy the one that was better or the one you were trying to make it look like, et cetera. But actually in reality, that person has probably got so much enjoyment out of, like, oh, I want to change the brakes, right? And they mm-hmm. spend three weeks researching yeah. and then going and looking around and trying to find the right thing. Yeah. And then they work on something else and you get whatever, five years of enjoyment out of this process exactly. rather than just buying saving a bit and yeah. buying the next one. Exactly. And then you've kind of, you don't have as much invested in that, exactly. yeah. that product. Yeah, it's absolutely, yeah. That's, that's really where it's all about. I mean, I... Yeah, I see this all the time. That it, it, it really is that, that process where you, you know, I, I get messages from my clients like in the middle of the night with, with like they, they cut uh, so, so, so a couple of photos and then, you know, glue them together and say, Niels, 
this has to be the next project, you know. <laughs> and I, you know, this is it, you know. This this should be it, and then we're going to take this car and we're going to do this and that. It, it's you know, it, it really gets the, the the juices going. It's it's something mm. truly special to be creative together and to uh, to work with all these top specialists. You know, I mean, if we're if we're designing the interior recently, for instance, for Advent and Coupe, that's a Range Rover based uh, conversion we've uh, yep. made a a car we, we again put an enormous amount of work into the interior for instance and you know we just it's not just about which color letter but it's about why right so mm-hmm. are we going to do leather or are we going to do like tweet or are we going to do silk because this is you know these are the choices we can make yeah. it's not and it's not a fixed pattern either i mean if you go to any oem and especially the, the luxury uh, car manufacturers sure you, you have a beautiful palette of all sorts of letters you can choose from and you can maybe even have a bespoke letter made if, if it's, you know, super high end. However, can you also redesign your seat as yeah. in the pattern? No, you cannot. Because in the end, with all due respect, right? But with all, it, it's a mass-produced car. They've got to make a lot of cars. Yeah. Exactly, right? So, and, and that's what we can do. So we, we look at the thickness of like um, uh, padding, for instance, just not only for like comfort, but just for the look. Like, mm. is this a, a five millimeter padding or a six or an eight, right? And then we're looking at uh, stitching, like, for instance, headrest embroidery. Are we doing this uh, ton to ton? So the, the same color as the base material, for instance, or Brad Van Homage as a outline, very subtle of, of the Brad Van on the headrest. And we designed it so it's basically hard to see, right? So, so you wouldn't see it immediately. It's not about, you know, putting it in your face. It's not a, a boxing match where we have to, you know... Uh, beat all the unique features in somebody's head. Yeah. It's about a sort of a journey in that car as well. So you, you, you get into the car and then you start discovering things rather than you see them all yeah. at once. So, you know, we discussed the, 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 the type of thread, obviously the color of the thread and the thickness of the thread and the stitches apart from each other. You know, these are really interesting conversations, sometimes uh, slightly on the geeky side perhaps. But yeah, yeah. in the end, the end result is super special. And, and again, that's what makes our customers stick. It's really that journey and, and eye for detail and that we hardly have to say, sorry, that's not possible. That, that's yeah. something I really try to prevent saying, you know, and there are always things that are not possible, but the very large majority that you cannot do at an OEM, whichever OEM, whichever amount of money you bring them, you can do with us. And yeah. that, that's sort of one of the other yeah, unique points we can we can bring to our customers that that the sky basically is the limit, and it, obviously, like I said, it depends on some of the countries, uh, law and legislations, and um, you know other boring stuff. But in the majority of things we can do, and that's uh, you know, really like you said, uh, building that Lego model. That that's really a feeling like you, you finally can get what you want, and it's super nicely executed yeah. too, and you can visit these workshops where these people are behind their sewing machines and they, you know, they're making the upholstery and we send photos and uh, movie clips and other kind of stuff. Uh, if they, the clients don't have the possibility to come over themselves. So they're really involved in this process mm-hmm. and they see how, uh, how, how their car is being built by a group of fantastic specialists. And yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful process. It, it's something I personally, I, I just can't grow tired of. You know, I see it all the yeah. time, obviously, day in, day out. But it's 
it, it just every time it's special and also because every time we do it it's for the first time right we, we yeah. hardly do anything twice that's that's coach building it's one off how do you stop your cars looking like concept cars do you know what i mean mm-hmm. by that like quite often i'll see i'll see something that's being coach built mm-hmm. and i'll go it looks like it's almost like a bit too big or a bit inflated and a bit there's something about it that just doesn't look like it could have come from an oem yeah but i don't know what what in your head ticks that box to say it's weird it's well it's many different things at the same time actually a car designers view cars in three different layers so we first look at proportions sort of the Proportional statement, if you like, yeah. about 10 meters distance. Uh, imagine like a, a ballet dancer or a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. Only by the outline, you know, immediately within half a second, okay, this is a, a man or a woman, a ballet dancer, yeah. or bodybuilder, whatever. So that's how it starts. Then you look at the surfacing. So that's the skin of the car. Let's say where the muscles are, uh, right? Is this a rear wheel driven car? Then the muscles should be around the rear axle. And then the last layer is surfacing. Uh, after surfacing is jewelry. And that's the details, right? So mm-hmm. the, the logos or uh, chrome elements, uh, beautiful, small touches to, to finalize the design. And all these different levels have to be cohesive. It has to be consistent. And, and if you don't do it well or don't do it well enough, then, then you'll see that. And, and that's the biggest difference between, um, let's say, tuners, for instance, that tack on massive body kits. I always yeah. call it like the, the Tupperware party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, again, with all due respect, but that's that's not OEM quality. As in, uh, apart from the literally the quality of, of the materials, but it's not design quality. So yeah. the proportions, the surfacing, and the jewelry on these bumpers, spoilers, whatever, are, are are nowhere near the quality of the car that they are being screwed yeah. on. And and that's what you see and it's hard perhaps to pinpoint that as a let's say a non-car designer why do yeah. I this looks a bit weird well because lines don't flow because you know this is like sort of the technical side of car design yeah. uh, as in the you know the, the real sort of um, uh, the way it works but but you'll see it you know the human eye is extremely sensitive to, to imperfections you know we can see something like along the car body we see half a millimeter you know we see a little dust particle we see it so we see, you know, uh, big massive failures in in body case. We we definitely see. Yeah, too. yeah. So so this is something again we, we stay very far from, and and this is a, a deliberate choice. So, so we don't do big body kits. We don't do, you know, crazy wide body aggressive kind of, you know, they're to each his own, yeah. and it's fine. And some some you know uh, companies are very good at it and become very big. Yeah. The menseries of this world, but it's it's not what we do. So um, and 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 our clients come to us because. They they want something special, but they they want something that is definitely not that, not that yeah. right? Uh, and and that's what they appreciate. And it, I call that OEM plus. So it's it's an OEM design, but with let's say the volume a tiny little bit louder. Yeah. And if you see our, our Tesla design, that's actually a great example in that sense because fifty percent of that car is a hundred percent OEM. The front half of that car yeah. just uh, we didn't change anything, but everything behind the B pillar has been changed in one way or another. But most people say, well, where, where does it start? Let's say, where does the conversion start? And then I tell them, well, we actually redesigned the entire shoulders too. And people go, oh, they look OEM. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the point. You know, it's easy to design something that looks like, you know, you went to the B&Q and, and drilled some holes and put yeah. some, you know, boards on it. And, but 
it has to be again this this sculpture, this like has been grown rather than a afterthought. Mm. And and yeah, th- that's the essence again of having well perhaps this RCA background, for instance, you know, like a proper car design background before you start fiddling with cars. And on the aesthetic level, that's very important. Yeah, it's it. What the human eye can pick up is yeah. absolutely insane. I, and yeah. I know it drives some. Some people can see stuff, and some people some people just can't see stuff. They just mm-hmm. don't see it. Yeah. Whereas I, I am a hundred percent one of those people that will look across a room, and someone's like putting a picture up, and I'm like, it's not straight. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. It's like it's out yeah. by it's a little exactly. bit, and they look at it, and it's out by like half a degree or something You're like yeah but i could see that yeah, from exactly. literally across the room yeah yeah um but then like you said it's it's having the experience and the knowledge to know what you need to do exactly yeah i mean and it, why you, it's wrong. you do this in your daily you know live yeah. if you look at cars through the lens it's something that you have to understand how a car works like a human being a car has let's say it's prettier sides yeah. angles and then not so pleasant ones so this goes for any human being and goes for any car. So, yeah, you have to understand that. You have to be able to read a shape, read a car, so to speak. And, yeah, this is, uh, you know, very familiar to me as well. Like if I walk the street, whether that's a car design or just, you know, a shop window, I can get, you know, sometimes to a rather explosive level of anger. <laughs> where you, you know, come on, what's going on, you know? Please. <laughs> My eyes start bleeding, you know. Yeah. This is terrible. Um, or the other way around, I can get extremely happy when I see there is a design team that really pulled it together and you know nailed it. And this can be a high-end supercar, or it can be a Volkswagen up because that's equally fantastically well put together yeah. uh, on the design uh, level. What's your favorite bit of new design? Ah, uh, yeah, that's these are terrible questions. I have to say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very hard. I mean, there there is a lot of very good stuff going on, and and. You know, on all different levels again, you know, uh, if you see the, the change that, that Kia has gone through, for instance, in, in the last, uh, what is that, 10, 15 years mm. since the Skyer came on, just fantastic. And you see good design sales, right? I mean, their market share went up double worldwide in the US and in Europe. That's not a coincidence, you know, that's design strategy. And he's doing, you know, an amazing job with that brand, or he did an amazing job with, with that brand from Seed to Stinger GT. But, you know, uh, the same goes for what um, a while ago happened at Rolls-Royce uh, when the, the, the Phantom 7 was introduced and the, the drop-head coupe. And the, mm. uh, you know, the fantastic, relevant pieces of design. So in the end, like I said, budget, whether that's the, the developing budget of the actual product or, or what the thing costs at the end, right? I mean, uh, how much is it up? You know, if you yeah. spec it properly, it's 10K. Um, and uh, if you spec the Rolls properly, well, I mean, it's a bit more. But in the end, they are pieces of car design, pieces yeah. of industrial design. And you can just, a car designer can see that, like at first glance, okay, this was a team that worked together well, uh, you know, they nailed it. Or yeah. you can see, well, oof, you know, there was definitely something going on in that team that just didn't work. And whether that's, you know, a chief designer or whether that's a board of directors that is pushing it to completely the wrong direction, which happens. I mean, that, one of the reasons for me to actually decide to do what I'm doing because the only one I have to in the end talk to is my client. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, rather than uh, a board of directors and a lot of people that think they, they know car design and you have to convince them about things that you know 
are needed. But they yeah. were like, yeah, well, you know, I like gray. So, you know, <laughs> gray. Yeah. Yeah. But for you personally, like, it's not very important to you. you. know, and that's one of the perks of, of doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I can talk to uh, usually fantastic entrepreneurs, you know, uh, super interesting people in their own right, every one of them. And uh, I can realize their childhood dreams. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's no greater gift than that. And then, for instance, the, the gentleman that did the, the Tesla-based car with us, he, he uses it as a daily driver. You know, it's a one-off coach-built car. And he, he literally, you know, he takes it everywhere. I have photos where, you know, he, he was uh, visiting clients in the south of France and he had to go over, you know, these beautiful farmer roads in the rain. <laughs> and, you know, the car was just covered with mud up until the roof. It's just, and, and he loves it. You know, he goes yeah. like, yeah, well, I have it. I have it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll clean it up again. But he just enjoys the car and likes to see others enjoy it too. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah, there's no, there's, there's no bigger joy than that. Yeah, to, to see people enjoying what they co-created with me. Yeah, that's really cool. One, there's, I see so many cars now that, mm-hmm. and some brands. You look at it, and and I don't know whether it's misdirected at the head designer because they're the sort of person that their name is on the car, sure, or on that department. So you go, okay, well they're responsible for why this looks awful, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's probably not the case, but. You see cars come out that, for example, let's just take McLaren Senna, for example. Mm-hmm. I saw pictures before it came out, before it was launched on, on like people's phones being like, this is the new car. And yeah. then pretty much everyone I met was like, are you sure? Like they wouldn't make that. <laughs> that, that doesn't look good. Like yeah. what are they doing? And then it comes out and, it, you know, technologically and sure. stats wise, yeah. it's impressive, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I don't know anyone. I don't know one single person that looks at that car and goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they no. respect it and they understand yeah. it and whatever. Yeah. Like, compare it to the P1. P1 came out and everyone went, I want well, one. Exactly. Yeah. So how on earth does that car get signed off from the beginning? Cause I just don't yeah. understand. Like, does, does no one give them negative? Is it just everyone is in the department and everyone's like, oh yeah, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, yeah, cool. And then they just get in their own loop, and then everyone, no one ever says, nah, this crap. I, I, it's you know, this is it, the, the real story is impossible to know unless you were there, yeah, right? Yeah, so sure. it might again be a, a, a chief engineer that puts his foot down and say, well, we will get any of the downforce without that, you know, yeah. the tabletop on the back. Or it's a cost cutter that says, well, yeah, but this car has to make us X. And, you know, if you want your more uh, sculptural design in the back, that is going to cost us uh, 50 quid per car more. And yeah, yeah. it's just not in the budget anymore. You know, it can be a million things. It can be a, an idiot CEO, a weird board of directors. I mean, I've heard many stories where the wrong decisions were made, you know, and you've got also a, you know, an increasing group of frustrated car designers because of that, because the wrong people make uh, the wrong decisions. In the end, you could always say, well, it's the chief designer because his or her task is to mm. also push things through, right? To, to say, well, no, we have to do this because otherwise this or that. Um, and some of them are you know, extremely successful at that. Um, look at Renault, for instance, what Laurence van Acker, chief designer there did. Renault was dead, basically. Yeah. You know? It was, they were terrible cars. They, they, they had no sweat de vivre if we, uh, you know, uh, mm. do a bit of uh, <laughs> French input there. It's, 
they were just on all levels, they were terrible. And now if you look at, it doesn't matter which car it is, whether it's the, the Twingo or the Espace, uh, they dare to, to innovate, they dare to go for the right proportions, bigger wheels, even if you have the, the basic uh, yeah. spec, let's say, with, yes. uh, with plastic uh, you know, wheel trip, they have large wheels. So somebody, uh, like the chief designer, said, like, no, we have to have these big wheels. Our cars are grown, we cannot you know, keep on selling cars with these tiny 12-inch wheels. Yeah. It just doesn't look good anymore. We cannot do this. So it's it's one of the qualities of a chief designer that that he or she can convince the board of directors to invest in certain things and and to also not invest in other things, right? I mean, if you look at Volvo, they also are doing fantastic. They they've done uh, some they've done terrible, amazingly, yeah, terrible stuff before uh, under the previous chief designer, and now uh, since uh, Thomas Ingelat is there, they make relevant choices again. They they make the choices that are important for those who want to drive a Volvo. And sure, they don't have a six-cylinder anymore. They don't have eight-cylinders anymore. They yeah. don't have you know, 20 different engines. But do people really care? Well, clearly they don't because with they only four cylinders, they are selling like hotcakes. They sell and so sure, many cars. You know, sorry? They sell so many cars. It's- exactly, yeah. So, so, so they made a very clear decision there with obviously a smaller budget compared to Mercedes-Benz or, or Audi or whoever, right? But they make cars that look Miles better than all these added up together with their yeah. massive, massive budgets, right? So it's not about having this massive bag of money. It's about making the right and the relevant decision for the brand and for the people that buy your cars. Yeah. You know, why do you buy a Volvo? Because of, you know, a list of reasons. Because you don't want to buy a German car. You don't yeah. want this angry looking, you know, uh, why, do, why do all cars have to be angry these days? You know, can we not? You know, yeah. Imagine people are as angry as the cars are, you, you, you know, you, it, it's going to yeah, be yeah. very weird in the elevator, you know. <laughs> you all look like your your everyday Audi. It's uh, it's it's going to be terrible. So so these are design decisions that were made, strategic decisions, and um, on you know on, on many different levels, and they were made well. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out for whatever reason, like yeah. that that McLaren that you just mentioned, and specifically seeing it in the entire spectrum of McLarens that you know the seven twenty S is a Beautiful car, just fantastic. Yeah. You know, so so well executed, interior and exterior. So it's hard to say where exactly uh, the Senna came from or why it looks the way it looks. But it, it yeah, it, it almost looks like it's been done by a completely different department. I guess this, like you said, there's so many factors that go into these mm-hmm. things. And for example, let's say the the Senna, they had to start with a 720s. Mm-hmm. They, that's that is the base under that car, and they've then got to build up on that and they've sort of just gone like everywhere and yeah. the proportions have got a bit funny and stuff like that. But yeah, there are all of these decisions, but if you come back to the customer at the end of the day, if the customer doesn't like it, they are not going to buy it. And yeah. yes, you can put hype in around something and like promo it and whatever. And everyone yeah. thinks, Oh, I'm going to make money out of it. But we're now realizing everyone's come to the realization that that doesn't really work anymore. You have to, like I've always said, you, you know, it's that thing that when you walk away from a car, you've got to sort of look back. If it, you've got to sort of look back at it mm-hmm. a little bit, you've got to like, you got to go, yeah, that's my car. Yes, I like it. it. Yeah, and as, as soon as you lose that, and that can be any value of car. Like, there's some things that have come out recently, like the up. I like the up Honda E. I like the Honda E. That's a cool little thing. 
but they push me to buy cars. Peugeots at the moment. I think Peugeots look really good. Absolutely, yeah. Like their new design ethos is amazing. Yeah, yeah it's so and, much better. And, and good innovation in the interior too. Yeah. With high cockpit, right? So it's higher, the smaller steering wheel. You look over it. There's some proper thinking going on there. And there are French cars again, instead of these massive sort of mouths that were blobby and, you know, yeah. they were terrible cars. And, and again, there you see how much design is pushing sales there. You know, everybody's making safe cars these days. Everybody's making durable cars. Every, you know, exactly. Every, everything's good these days. So, so design really is worldwide, no matter, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you have a lot of money to spend or a tiny amount of money to spend, it is design that sells cars. So, yeah. and, and you see you know, Peugeot and Didis is a great example there. They just make nice cars again, beautiful cars. And, well, the science behind that, that's car design. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely used to have a, a prejudice. And I think in the past, if you wanted some modern tech and mm-hmm. the sort of a, a nice doors that shut properly and whatever, you had to buy a German car pretty uh-huh. much. Yeah. Um, whereas, and that would force, you know, push you towards Mercedes, Audi or whatever. Yeah. Whereas now 100%, if I'm, if I'm just looking for a nice family car type thing, I will look at all of the brands and it will... They all have the same tech. They all have the tech. Yeah. Like you, the options that you spend on your supercar, you spend like five grand for something. You get yeah. it for like 200 quid in your yeah, 10 grand exactly. car. It's yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. So exactly. that's no longer a differentiator. No. All of them have cruise control, all have everything. Yeah. And then it's, like you said, it just comes down to design. And, and actually this, you know, design in 2020 is so much more important now. Because that's the that's the main thing that differentiates. Yeah, absolutely. Who cares yeah. if your car's like point one of a second to sixty faster? Yeah. Like the, I've seen tons of videos recently of new RS six versus M five versus E sixty three or whatever. Yeah, and a bunch of people sent me messages like, "Oh my god, the RS six is point one of a second slower to uh, one hundred and fifty miles an hour." Yeah, and then I just turn around to all these people and be like, "Yeah, okay, but which one of these ones would you buy?" And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's still by the RS6. Why? Yeah. Oh, because it looks damn cool. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Exactly. So that's it, right? And, uh, this this uh, horsepower race is is getting increasingly less relevant uh, worldwide. And it's, yeah, it's something hard to put into words, perhaps, but it's mm. uh, it, it's like your uh, your life companion. You have to be attracted on, on many different levels. It has to feel good. And, yeah. and that's the job of a car designer, to make people fall in love, basically. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a highly irrational decision to buy any car. There, totally. There's no, you know, why would you spend that amount of money, even on the Volkswagen up, right? 10K. Yeah. Just for, like, for like 200 quid, you buy a Toyota Corolla and it has air conditioning and airbags and it will last you about, you know, five nuclear wars. Yeah. You know, it just, they don't die. So why would you do anything else? And that's the interesting thing. If you speak to people that, that you know, don't like cars, uh, and you ask them, what did you, what, what do you drive? Yeah, I drive a Nissan or a drive Toyota. Yeah. And okay, so uh, you bought that second hand, I presume. No, 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 I bought it new. <laughs> uh, so why? You know, like, yeah, because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's, there's no, there is no rational reason. Like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's the beauty of, of cars. Like the, the business in a way is rather ridiculous. You know, you've got this super expensive thing standing outside of your house. At ninety nine point nine percent of the time, doing nothing except appreciating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like and and that's it. But you still want that thing, and to to 
to be able to work in, uh, in, in this field, you know, to be able to uh, work with. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fantastic people, whether it's for an OEM or for one of my clients, in a way it's the same. There is no rational reason to come to me and to ask, hey Niels, I've got this Ferrari, can you please cut it up? You know, yeah. then, why? I've already spent a lot of money, I now want to spend 10 times that and, with you. But, you know, but it's, it, it's about that emotional connection and, and that's, uh, it's the same for everybody in a way. Whether it's, uh, uh, like I said, a, a 10K up or a uh, whatever, you know, a mm. 1 million plus a bespoke coach book car, yeah, it's really about that emotional connection with that with that object, and um, if you're able to get to the essence of what people really really like, and then deliver on it, yeah, it's it's beautiful line of work, mm. absolutely. You know, yeah, you must get a, lot, a serious amount of sort of job satisfaction from delivering <laughs> these things. Yeah, it's you know, it's it, it's always fantastic, especially after. Uh, you know, the car is finished, you know, like, and you, you finally are able to, to walk around the, the finished car, mm. the finished product with your, with your client. That, that's always a bit of a surreal moment almost, right? Because it's, you know, uh, the baby is there now, it's been yeah. born, and uh, yeah, that's it, you know. And, and you, you walk around it and you can finally discover it, and uh, it's real now. You know, it went from this, this sketch on paper, this two-dimensional thing, or, or even before that, it went from an concept and idea to something real and it's there now and uh, yeah it's super uh, super nice yeah yeah it never grows old (laughs) that's cool do you have if if you had to look back is this something you think about like if you could have designed one car that you you haven't designed like what would that be one (laughs) car in time uh it's an interesting one there are a couple i would say Mm. i think what um the DB9 meant for Aston Martin when it first came out. Yeah, I think it's it still is just fantastic. It's it's truly one of the best styled cars out there. It is. Uh, we're talking about these three levels of car design: proportion, servicing, and jewelry. It just is on each and every single level. It's fantastic. The interior is fantastic. You know, and again, no limited budget there. Uh, you know, it's a Volvo interior parts beam, uh, mm. but well integrated and. The exterior again is just even compared to the DB11, which is a beautiful car. But it, you know, it's, yeah, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's you know, not it's, not, it's not. It's not 100. It's nice, but wow, the DB9. I mean, 
it's um, it's a 15 year old car now. Look around, you know, walk around it. And it's, it doesn't. It's not old, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we discussed the up. I think especially the, the pre facelift up that the facelift did not didn't do any 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 favors. But the pre facelift up both interior and exterior is so consistent, is so pure. It has fantastic proportions, which is very hard for a tiny car. You know, crash structures have to be hidden away. You don't have a big nose, that kind of stuff. But it's just perfect. And, you know, people fit, literally and figuratively speaking. I, I'm a tall bloke. I, I can fit in a hub, but, mm. you know, uh, somebody who's uh, half my length can can fit as well, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it still works. Yeah, the, the stuff that Kia has been doing, uh, but also, like I said, uh, Rolls-Royce, the, the Phantom 7. There, there are so many cars where you went like, ah, you know, wish I was on that team. Yeah, yeah. You can just see they, they, they had a fantastic time and it's perfect. You know, there's nothing to improve on, uh, for instance, in that, that Phantom 7. So, um, or the DB, DB9 or one, you know, yeah, yeah, many, many cars. It's, it's, many it's very cool hard things. to, uh, to make a short list, to be honest. And like you said, it's so funny how, like just brutal the responses from the first person that sees it, like a DB11, you know, I look at it and I'm like, there's something not, there's something just, it's yeah. just not, it's just not quite so, right. Yeah. And so they've spent, so people have spent thousands and thousands and hours and millions and millions of pounds designing yeah. it. And you're like, yeah, it's just not. It's something right. yeah, somewhere. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the same in so many, so many industries where like, you look at anything like it, aesthetics and the whole thing just yeah. makes such a difference. I know with a, with a photo, people will look at it and go, I like that. And you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Sweet. Oh, they don't like it, but they have no idea why. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I probably have an idea. Yeah. But you can get so close and just be so far, whether it's like light lighting, you know, yeah. the lighting looks a bit fake. Mm. Something's a bit, for some reason, there's too much light on one side of your face to the other and the yeah. sun's in the wrong place or whatever. Yeah. A, a classic, right. a classic photo one that I I always try and sort of get my r- random people I come across to sort of pay attention to uh-huh. is moving photos of cars where the wheels are not moving. <laughs> yeah. It it happens a lot. You see it in press campaigns. You see it in all these sorts of things. The the funniest one you see a lot is it might be a launch of a car. I remember the Porsche Cayman. I think the 718, when that came out, they had two photos, uh, two cars driving down a road. Well, it looked like they were driving down a road. Uh, but one was facing, it was so they could see the front of the car and the back of the car in the picture. And one's driving forward and one's driving backwards. Yeah. But both, well, they're meant to both be driving forwards towards yeah, yeah. each other, but yeah. both wheels are spinning yeah. and the cu- the picture is moving. And you're like, well, that means one of these cars is reversing. I can't unsee this. Yeah. Yet someone puts this out in yeah. front of like a million people because they're like, well, yeah. I just want someone to see the front. Like, no, yeah. no. no exactly. ah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, especially in, in the car industry. I mean, it's, it's so huge that there are so many people involved. It's like the intern at the end that, that does this, you know, uh, where, you know, uh, he photoshops the wheels, I guess, you know, yeah. and, and then and then his entire, you know, 1.5 billion uh, pounds spent on the 718, you know, yeah. it goes down, down the drain because of one person. And, you know, there, there are many stories as well on, 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 you know, terrible car salesmen, for instance, you know, you go to dealer X and they treat you like, you know. Yes, 100%. Crap. And, and, and it's, you know, in the end, the entire, everything is important. The entire string, everything Everything is important, you know. Yeah. That's it's super crucial. You know, the photo shoot, for instance, 
for our cars. I'm heavily involved in that. You know, usually uh, it's something clients like yeah. have, you know, uh, photos of, of the car. And we definitely like to have them uh, if a car comes out to show uh, you know, yep. well, what we've done. But, uh, you know, the photos tell a story. You know, for instance, the photos, photo shoot on our uh, Tesla-based car. I said, you know, in the frame, normally it's like three-quarter front, three-quarter back, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I said, well, okay, you know, there's a boring old stuff. This car is going to be a part of somebody's life. It's not going to be like 100% in the frame. You know, it's not going to yeah. be 100% of his life. It's going to be a part of his life. So in the frame, the car has to be, you know, a part of the total picture, but not yeah. like the 100% fool yeah. in the shot kind of thing. So that's one of the one of the concepts around that shoot. In every single picture, the owner can be found. So yeah. sometimes it's a shadow, like an outline. Sometimes you don't even see him, but he knows he was in the car at the picture, right? Sometimes you look over his shoulder, through a window, at the car, right? Yeah. So these are, to me, it's, it's, it's as important as the design of the car. It's not like a little afterthought, like, oh, yeah, make yeah. some photos. Because you can completely ruin it. You can completely 100%. ruin one and a half years of work, you know? And... Uh, and people do. Yeah, they all do. The absolutely. Time. That's why I'm so on top of these shoots as well. Like, it's I'm there, you know, I'm there from the morning until the evening with the photographer, with uh, the fantastic team that, yeah. you know, we do this way. And, you know, everybody has their own responsibilities and freedoms, but I'm there because it's super important that it's that, that the story remains pure, right? And, and yeah. I know the story because I designed the car. So I briefed the photographer with that story because that's what has to be. In that photo, that story has to be yeah. complete. It's, it's interesting that you, you've just sort of summed up how I, I, th- I would say the difference between good commercial photography or just good photography, really, mm. and distinctly average. A lot of the time I'll take pictures in the car is 100% the subject. But to make a more interesting picture or you want to fit a sort there's a story. People buy these cars for a story. Yeah. And the number of manufacturers that release a car with just studio shots. Yeah kind of does my head in yeah. because there's no need no. and they're always shot with the wrong ang- like yeah. angle lens yeah. for that car yeah. so I did this in a I was thinking it was at Geneva last year and I was just walking around some cars and I just wanted to explain why some of the photos that come out of manufacturers look so bad mm. and it's always like quite often they're shot in a studio yeah. And maybe they're not shot in a very big studio, so they have to use quite a wide angle mm-hmm. lens. Yeah. And, and then they're quite close to the car, yeah. and everything just looks awful. Yeah. And the amount of awful press photos I see yeah, I know. of very expensive cars. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that they haven't necessarily spent a lot of money on the photos. No, no, it's just it's yeah. just they've just missed it. Yeah. And like you said, like having, you could have a photo, whether it's like part of the car and the story or whatever, but there needs to be stuff in the picture that yeah. sells the rest Absolutely. of yeah. the story. Absolutely. Yeah, but when we did Adventum Coupe, that's uh, the most recent car, right? Yeah. We, we searched for a location like we always, you know, for quite a while. And in the end, um, we found a, a location which is sort of a cottage style uh, architecture. Um, it's, a, it's called the Duke. It's a, it's a business club in the Netherlands. Yeah. Very exclusive. And um, we were looking for a day to shoot, and finally we, we said, okay, this is going to be the date. And then the photographer sent me a, a message, uh, like I think a week or so in advance. He said, Niels, uh, I, you know, the weather forecast says it's going to rain that day. I think we should cancel. I was like, no, we've got to have that shoot in the rain because it's a British car, right? Yeah. A Range Rover-based car in a British setting, uh, this, this sort of yeah. style. Uh, 
you know, the rain is just going to add to the story. It's perfect. Yeah. You know? We have to do that in the rain. And it was, I mean, unbelievable. It, the rain was, it was just a tropical, you know, storm kind of stuff going yeah. on. So everybody was like, you know, covering everything <laughs> with plastic and, you know, people were cold and, you know, but yeah. the shoot turned out great. And um, the beauty was like halfway the day, suddenly this like in, in like 10 minutes, it stopped raining and the sun came out and the car dried up like instantly. Yeah. And I was like, uh, that's not good. So we, we asked the, the golf course that was around. And like, yeah. yeah, but a bit of a weird question, but <laughs> <laughs> could we wash our car? And they were like, uh, well, it's, it's made for golf carts and you've got this, you know, massive, yeah, yeah. you know, huge SUV. <laughs> I don't think it's going to fit, um, but we squeeze it in, in, in their sort of washing yeah. space, space and, and, yeah, we washed the car actually two times that day uh, to keep it wet and consistent throughout yeah. the day for the shoot. But yeah, to me, that, that again is you know a, a consistent story where the car is uh, in the right setting and, and it's wet in this case. Mm. You know, uh, it, it just adds to the, the Britishness of, the life of that project. Yeah, and it makes shoots like that and shoots where there's like some real kind of thought and good planning that that that's what I love. Like I love that stuff. Any, anything that's just kind of, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, just not bother. Don't bother. Yeah. And the people looking at it, those are people just go, oh well. If we have other things in the photo, it will distract. No, that's not how it works. That's not yeah. how people. No, yeah, exactly. It's not that people just come across a photo without. Yeah. You know, it's it. it yeah, there's a story and people understand it, yeah. And all these these crazy cars, so like cars with like big wings and whatever. Mm. When you see a, a simple a simple sort of aesthetic photo where it's it's just basically the car, you don't you don't really see how that design and with all cars relates to normal life. Mm-hmm. Like you said, putting the Range Rover in a setting that a Range Rover would be in. Yeah. People suddenly go like the start the story starts and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah. okay." Or like you put it near some any of these crazy design cars you put them near normal cars exactly suddenly you're like whoa uh, yeah this yeah. is mental suddenly you read indeed and, and that's car i'm a big fan of putting cars out there like out in the, the normal real world because it, it they suddenly like a car in a car show is like this sort of weird thing in a vehicle. bubble yeah yeah it's like there are no buildings around or no people around like you wouldn't know, people don't really know how big a phantom is mm. up until they're next to the phantom. They go like, "Whoa!" But this yeah. is, yeah. But it's you know, it's big. That's what the phantom is, and you don't see it's big even on a car show. You don't see it. No. Up until the time you're like me as a student in London, biking past the phantom, and you go like, "Whoa! This is yeah. huge. This is like a lorry." You know, it and and it's important to see cars in in, in the surrounding in, in where you know where they're used cars are driven by people yeah. in, in in the city center or in the countryside or whatever and it's it's super important to also to convey again the story of the design uh, just the aesthetics of it like yeah. the proportions you don't know how big something is if you don't see it next to something else it's yeah. basically as simple as that absolutely it's, yeah. it's, it's something about yeah, a pet peeve of mine is if you go to a car show and the cars are parked on grass. Yeah. And everyone has a look around. And you're like, oh, it, never yeah. ever send me a picture of a car parked on grass. Like, okay, I, you know, just to show it, whatever. Absolutely, but yeah. like, no. it, <laughs> you lose everything about the car. Everything, yeah. It has like, to be on some kind of tarmac, some kind of road. It's just like the, 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 
the PR gentleman that worked with us on the Tesla said uh, uh, beautiful things. He said like, cars are not cows. Cars and grass is just, it doesn't, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, cars, not cows. So I never forgot that. Like, it's, that's so like good. A car on grass just, it doesn't work. It's weird. It's on every if, it, if it's an off road vehicle and it's off road, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, to put, put a, a road car, it's not a cow. Super sports car on the, on the car. Like what? Like yeah. how you mowing the lawn? And the grass like comes up below, above yeah. the bottom of the car. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of reaches over the sill and stuff. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I think people are getting a real insight into how like mine, your minds work just on a daily basis <laughs> of the rage. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. These are you know we we might have some proper anger issues here, but uh, they all come out now. This is therapeutic. This session. Yeah. That is why the end products look much better absolutely that, because of these well, mindsets yeah it's that, it, that we have to live with but other people can just appreciate <laughs> exactly they can enjoy the fruits of our labor yeah it's uh yeah that's what it is it's well you know every single step of the way is, is important like i said and uh, that that's really something i live by and 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 that is important to my clients as well uh, to know before they start with me. like i'm yeah. um, you know, I'll, I'll put my foot down like a chief designer would do that for his board of directors in the end, because I know even if a client sometimes might not see that in the beginning, how important it is that we do this right at this point, because in the end, in a year from now, when we'll get the key of this bespoke car, then he will appreciate that we've done this right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, fortunately, uh, so far uh, it hasn't led to, yeah. led to any, any <laughs> breaks, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's an important part of the, of the discussion to, to always know when, when it's important to say, well, listen, this is something we have to push through. And yeah. I understand some things we cannot, but this is something we have to push through. And then if you, know, if you explain it well enough, people, people will get it. And, and it's a yeah. bit like what we're discussing now about photography. Like you know, some people might go like, you know, why would you spend days on arranging a shoot? Or, you know, a decent iPhone can make good photos too, right? <laughs> and I mean, I, I've seen photos of, well, let's say colleague um, coach builders that I, I assume are made by, you know, their daughter, uh, yeah, yeah. daughter on an iPhone, like hardly in focus, uh, let alone, uh, you know, a decent composition or, or location or whatever. That's it. It's not, it's not the iPhone that's the problem. No, no, no. That's, it's the it's, thoughts. Exactly. That, yeah. That's, that's what I, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say. It, it's, it's, there has been no thing. It's like, yeah, whatever, make a photo. That kind yeah. of, you feel it. You just feel that the conversation was there. Like, how much is the photo shoot? Nah, never mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. We'll do this ourselves. That kind of stuff. It, it's, you have to do it well. And, and otherwise, all the work, all the effort you put into that project from the entire team, everybody involved, including the client, is just, it's a deflating balloon. You know? Yeah. The, the end thing should be like, for those who cannot see the photo, the car in real life, there's a photo. So the photo should be as good as the thing in real life, as good yeah. as walking next to that car. You have to, you know, smell the letter through the photos and, and, and feel the paint. And, and, you know, it's everything has to be conveyed through that one image or selection of it. Yeah. So it's so important that that is done equally well and, and yeah, matches what the aim was with the project. Yeah, totally. I, I know a lot of people look at photography and see it as very expensive and it it, it, oft, it, it is expensive, but you know, it is, it's like you said, you pay for, like if I'm going to get you to design a car, 
and I could be like, oh, well, I, I, I could design a car. Yeah. But actually, no, I, I come to you because all of the experience you've had up to that point has led to you being able to go and produce an end result. Mm. Whereas you just go, oh, I'll do it for 50 quid. And like, you, you yeah. just, it's not, you can't, you can't do that. No, that, that's what I mean. You can build your own car. You can, I mean, some people do and, and, and it's lovely, but if we're talking about like a professional, you know, a professional project, yeah. you have to work with professionals. And, and it's fortunately what my clients understand as well. They come to me for a reason and I don't compete on price. You know, yeah. this is, I compete on quality. That's, that's what makes people come to me. It's, you know, because they see original ideas like or Adventon Bay, for instance, as a, just an, as a, as an example, has a, has a full yeah. teak wooden floor throughout the entire car, mm. you know, not just in the boot, but also in the passengers as well. And it's not just ordinary teak, but it's like true and true. Because I feel like, you know, you can get some some cars, some mass-produced cars with teeth in the back, but that's like a mess plastic base with yeah. uh, like half a millimeter of teeth glued <laughs> on top. Yeah, a little vinyl. Uh, exactly, yeah. And, and you know, yeah, you can feel it. You can, if you knock the wood or you put something on it, you put your bag or, you know, a travel bag on it, you can you can hear it. People will immediately feel that, yeah, that it's not what it seems to be, right? And then the inside of the teeth, normally you have this sort of uh, black uh, rubber, let's say, uh, separating the different uh, elements of teeth. And in our case, I made a big point of making that white to match the exterior paint color. Again, to to merge the exterior with the interior. Yeah. It's one. It's one object. It's one world. It should speak the same language. And um, some people might hate it, and that's fine. You know, this is a very personal yeah. journey. Some people For might. Sure dislike the base vehicle in itself. They dislike the Range Rover or whatever. But that, that's not the point. The point is like what we design is something very tailor-made to that specific person and to that specific uh, human being and, and, and his or her life. And that's what counts in these type of projects, that it's something that really makes them tick. And if somebody else wants like a lamb's wool or wants, you know, that's not the point. It's not necessarily yeah. about you know, a range of materials or colors, but it's about making a decision that suits that person. Yeah, definitely. And I I see a lot people going out and they they want to design, they want a certain car. Mm. And invariably, I think a lot of people, they go, okay, but this one costs whatever X. Yeah. But there's this company that will do it for half. Yeah. Uh, I'll go down that route. Yeah. and fair enough, like, you know, th- sure. some of these things is just crazy amounts of money. But invariably, I think a, a lot of them, it, if you are looking for X and there's some reasons why you want X, if you go for X for the half the cost, yeah, your end result is going to be, it might be similar, but it's going to miss the mark quite significantly. Absolutely. And you'll probably come round and yeah, you, your, your life and mindset and everything may have changed in the interim anyway, but... Mm-hmm. You'll probably always still want X. Yeah, absolutely. So, so either go, go for something. In my eyes, go for something different, but don't try and recreate something if yeah. that's what you really want. Just exactly. either wait until you can afford it, yeah. or go go for something else. Go for something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then that's you know you've got these companies that try to copy a copy singer, for instance. Uh, they're, they're yeah. Beautiful, and they got a, uh, you know for uh, you know indeed half of the money you can do. It. The same thing based on the 911. Yeah. yeah, but it's not the same thing though. It you know it's it will always be a bad poor copy, you know, with with not the right materials, with not the right 
bodywork with not yeah. the right design, not the right colors. It's it's always going to be um, something that it's not. Uh, you know, it's going to look like something like yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's kind of yeah half a singer maybe, but not really. So come come up with a, a different idea then. You know, if yeah. if your budget is not reaching towards that level, then we come up with a different solution. And um, but a, a, you know, a copy is uh, yeah, it's it's never going to be the original thought, and it's never, and that's maybe even more important. It's never going to be as rewarding to work on as a customer as well, right? So yeah, when when we did Adventure, that's that's actually a good example in this case. Obviously, uh, the SV Coupe was was cancelled by by the OEM by Range Rover. And this customer came to me and he said, well, you know, I, I, I really still want my two-door or three-door conversion. I said, well, I think that's a great idea. But before we start this conversation, I want to make something very, very clear. I am not a photocopier. So this car will be different on every single level. We can make it, you know, differentiate from, yeah. A, the base vehicle. So the, let's say ordinary Range Rover and the SV Coupe. So we we gave it a completely different uh, stance. It has um, deliberately smaller wheels compared to the SV. It has not the sloping roofline. We we could have done this. This is a very very big complex project. We could have dropped the roof, right? We didn't do that deliberately. I wanted I wanted to make it a completely different car, more horizontal, more formal, uh, perhaps a bit more like the the, the series one, right? The seventies yeah. car. The, the original car only came as a three door or a two door. Some people call it two. Some people call it three door. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make an original design, and sure, it is still the car. It is. It's still based on the best four by four by far, but it is an original piece of design that has a completely different interior and a different way of thinking about how um, how to go about mm. making this car in a two door uh, version, uh, similar to let's say if the design brief would go out into the studio, you've got different teams competing for the new goal, the new Range Rover. Right. Every different team has a different thought, a different idea, a different vision, a different concept on how to bring this idea of the new car to life, and and that's how this car was designed too. So if you sit in the back of our car because of the roof that's a lot more straight, let's say, yeah. you've got way more light coming into the car, mm. and it's a different experience than let's say sitting in the, the back of a X6 or, or something yeah. like that, where where the the, the roof of that sporty SUV, which is a weird thing anyway, because the SUV cannot be sporty. So that's what I said to my client as well. An SUV is not sporty. It can be fast, like as in yeah. zero to 60, sure. It, and our car has a supercharged V8 and all that stuff. And it's a lovely motor and it goes, you know, rather quick, but it's it's not an aerial atom, you know. So yeah. let's not pretend it is. So that formal roof line tells the story of what this car is about. It's not about the new boat ring. It's not about, you know, driving it fast through tiny, uh, you know, uh, the, the roads in wheels on the, on the mountains or whatever. It's, it's not. It's about enjoying, you know, a, a lovely drive and uh, just in the best SUV, do what it is made for, right? So, yeah. so an SUV is a, a luxury vehicle, four-wheel drive with a lot of interior space, not a coupe, as in a sloping yeah. roofline coupe, you know? So... Um, that's what we try to convey with this car. You know, that's why it doesn't have, you know, uh, carbon fiber interior because we wanted to save like a little bit of weight <laughs> on, you know, the two and a half tons that it weighs. It, it, you know, doesn't let's matter, be frank, yeah. let's be honest. And, and because um, coach building is so small, you know, it's 
it's a couple of people working on one project. We can make the message super pure. And that's obviously, we don't have a marketing department saying, oh, you know, maybe we should import this yeah. or that material. Maybe we should, you know, maybe we should shoot it on the new book ring. Because, you know, in the end, it is a, you know, a sort of a sport. You know, it's not. <laughs> you know, it's not. So we, we shoot it in front of English style cottages because that's where it belongs. You know, yeah. in, in front of a golf course, a beautiful, you know, you know, and then natural scenes, not, not anywhere close to an apex. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's hilarious. The amount of cars nowadays that, like you said, have mixed messages. Yeah. Like, if it's meant to be a big, comfy SUV, mm. which all SUVs kind of, they're big, so they should be big, yeah. which means yeah. they should have interior space. Yeah. If you have a massive car that has no interior space, I just, it blows my mind. Like, you get yeah. some of these big cars and you open the boot, like, hang on a minute. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> as a Golf. Where did it go? Yeah. Where, where does it go? What's the point? Yeah. And... So many brands now, they just put, they're like, okay, well, the RS models sold really well. So let's have an RS one, two, three, five, A, or like yeah. everything. Yeah. And then they make them really stiff. And they're like, well, actually, because it's the RS model or the turbo or whatever, it must handle amazingly. And then people come back and journalists go, well, yes, it handles amazingly for an SUV. And then the the owner's are like, yeah, it handles amazingly for an SUV. And like, yeah, but what's the point like is so does that yeah. does that actually mean in day-to-day life you drive down the street and it's like dum, 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 exactly dum, yeah everywhere you go yeah you might as well just get a sports car if you want a sports car exactly so yeah again this is this is the reason why we kept the wheel size oem they're big enough they're you know they, it looks yeah. nice proportionally we didn't go for the smallest wheel okay you know because they are they, they look terrible let's be frank but just a decent size wheel under that car and it, it is it's great and it's very comfortable still, right? You don't yeah. need to go for the 25-inch spinners to, <laughs> you know, to make it stand out. That, that yeah. doesn't work. It has to be a relevant story, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been really good talking to you. Likewise, it's very enjoyable. I, um, we, I, think, I think we should do a photo shoot together one day. I think, I think we should. Everybody is now like, you know, yeah, so, yeah. So what's, what's going on now? What's the next project? <laughs> I think it sounds, sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, so I normally round these up with five questions. Ah, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Number one, five uh-huh. car garage, unlimited value. Oh, wow. Five car garage, unlimited value. I, and, I would and, say... And because you're a coach builder, you can tweak them a little bit if you want. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Well, well in that case, um, then then uh, on number one, I would say would be our Silver Spectre shooting brake, which is our coach build Rolls Royce rates shooting okay. version. That's a car I'm, I'm honestly, you can't see it yet. I won't be able to share anything yet, yeah. but that likely will be launched depending a bit on the whole situation yeah, yeah. around our worldwide uh, towards the end of this year. And I'm uh, honestly, uh, yeah, it's not overly Dutch to say this, but I'm quite proud of uh, what we did <laughs> together. Um, it's, a, it's a very special car that we put an enormous amount of time in. And I think yeah, just the design of the booth, Probably um, we spend more time on than the design of some complete cars. Just nice. to give you a bit of an idea, it's it's something truly special. And uh, I'm, I mean, I lived in London for ten years. I, I love the UK. I love England. And uh, yeah, I, I I'm uh, been in love. I would say with your with your brands as well. I mm. uh, I like your tailor made suits. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I um, yeah. So so I think that's that would be a great daily driver. It has. Uh, a little bit of wood space. It wasn't the main priority, uh, perhaps, for that car. 
but it's um, the rate is yeah a lovely car. I think it it suits me. Uh, it's uh, beautiful in its proportions, and I think what we did with it again, I shouldn't uh, you know, compliment uh, my own achievements too much, but uh, I think it just uh, looks really really stunning. I'm, I'm uh, very very pleased with what uh, what we've done with the team there. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. That's number one. Yeah, that's left. One. Uh, maybe something a bit more practical would be uh, a Range Rover. Let's just you know, mm-hmm. stay with your brands then. Um, and obviously, yeah, I, w- I would do something with the interior there and the exterior. So uh, develop uh, tailor-made paints. I think a nice uh, dual zone would be uh, would be nice. We discussed the DB9, right? Um, mm. I, I think that still is in in the right color, uh, not not black on black, like maybe um, Aston Martin did really good silvers on that yeah, car. They did. A selection of different. Uh, silvers and uh, I would say maybe interior would be like the I'm not sure what they call it sort of the burgundy dark red yeah. that they did I think it looks just splendid in the, in, in, the, in that setup but you know if it would be a bit more modern uh, a Lexus LC500H so the, oh. the hybrid yeah, yeah. that to me is also uh, specifically with that engine because it, it obviously it's available with the V8 as well and that's a crazy engine sure uh, but the the Toyota story, uh, Lexus story, is is you know they they introduced let's say the world to the hybrid with their yeah. and I think it really matches the drivetrain, the hybrid six cylinder hybrid, really matches their car. It it's just it turns it into something magical. And I had it for a, a while uh, through of uh, some of the connections I, I had the yeah. car industry, so I could could have it for a while, and I was deeply impressed. And and later I had the. RCF, which is the slightly smaller, yes. uh, let's say the M4 of mm. Lexus, and it has that VA, and it is super impressive. But if I'm really honest, it, it's it's nice, right? So you do a few sort of kickdowns, and you go, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, but then you go, okay, yeah. I also I, I don't want to you know end up that or you know uh, somewhere in the ditch or super tired uh, at yeah. the end of my journey when I you know arrive at my client uh, with a Lexus that goes tick 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 because it's so hot. So in the end, you want to go, okay, I want, I want to arrive in a bit more peace. And, you know, and then that, that Lexus was, I always had it in a hybrid mode because you can also do like all sorts of sports settings or whatever. But that just, it's such a messy car. So yeah, it's, I, I've it's, driven. Maybe, it's maybe going to be a few more cars than five. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I've um, driven both those cars, the, the LC500 hybrid and the V8. I, I drove them sort of back to back. And yeah, I, like you said, I, there's, there's definitely something about that hybrid powertrain that, it just so it, it it works, yeah, and it's it does suit that car, and I think the V8 is quite hilarious. Like it's kind of fun, but yeah. it doesn't nec- that car to me doesn't necessarily say it has to have a V8. No, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was really interesting. It's actually. a beautiful engine, and, and, and yeah, I, I like what they've done to Lexus, and I think this car is sort of the halo car, obviously, and they had a bit more budget to do even crazier mm-hmm. things. Um, but I, I think it it's super Japanese, and again, this honest narrative, being proud of where you're from, rather than copying. An S class or a seven series, like what they did for, for many years, sort of you know get cues from other manufacturers. Why not be honest and say we're Japanese, we're the best engineers of the world. Let's make a car that looks utterly Japanese. Yeah, because we're proud of what we're doing, and you, you know they have all the right to be proud of what they're doing. So that car, it cannot be anything else than Japanese. It's like manga on the wheels, you know, like it's yeah. it's it. I, I love it. I think they did a fantastic job. So yeah, as you as you can probably hear, my choices are rather design driven, which mm. is probably not. So if you got one one left, is that uh, right? 
Really know. only one? Are you that strict? <laughs> <laughs> only five cars. I mean, so oh they, my God, there's so many <laughs> pieces of design. Uh, you know, a Citroen DS perhaps, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Series the 1, classic. W124 Mercedes. You know, it doesn't have to be all super exotic. Mm. Uh, Audi A2, uh, I think, you know, again, the story is, is very similar. Each car I just mentioned is a pure design story. The DS, we want to make the most comfortable car in the world, not the sportiest or a car that also handles very well. No, the most comfortable, like the original DS I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So long wheelbase was a must. And the entire car is designed around one concept, the most comfortable executive saloon in the world, not the sportiest also, or not also the, but it's just a very pure story. And the A2 is the same. You know, um, it, it is a super pure Audi. It's truly the embodiment of Volkswagen technique in a car, yeah. right? It, it's like the TT of the first generation. Also super pure and it made Audi, let's say, premium overnight. They tried with all sorts of cars, but when they made a proper design statement, it worked. And now they're up there with the rest of the Germans. But they weren't really before the TT. They were like, yeah, you know, the, the not really that premium yeah. kind of uh, choice. So... Yeah, I think I think we have to, uh, you know, yeah, I think make the garage a bit bigger, perhaps. <laughs> if that's okay, uh, I'm not sure if we can convince the city council, but it's going to be a, a ten-car garage. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Yeah, you can only drive one car for the rest of your life, and you're allowed like a five hundred pound banger on the side that you can uh, put luggage in and whatever. Okay. Well, well, I guess the 500 pound beggar should then be a Volvo estate because I think they, you know, like a 850 or yeah, something turbo wagon. But then the Probably the Porsche Panamera Sportivismo. I think mm. that that you know um, that would take quite a few boxes. It's 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 it's, uh, it's not an SUV, which you know, I'm, apart from the real SUVs like a Range Rover, I'm not too much a fan of. It's probably practical enough. You know, it has some rear yeah. doors, so okay, can take some people and a bit of boot, boot space. Yeah, and it's a Porsche, so it's going to drive for. Like a dream. So the the change from the normal to the sport turismo. I remember, I think I think it released a, like a Paris motor show ages ago. They did a concept. Yeah. And everyone I know that saw it was just yeah. like, okay, just replace the normal one exactly. right now. Yeah. This is what you should have done from the beginning. Yeah. This looks way better. <laughs> but you know, the, the 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 original Panamera is an interesting story. It's what you get if you force the designer's head at the last moment. So uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it was sort of one of the executives that said, ah, but I cannot sit in the back. So make the wolf higher. Yeah. And that's, that's what they did. And it looked like, well, just terrible. It just it didn't yeah. add up anymore. It was this last minute force of, we have to make this rear seat occupant have, you know, I don't know, so many centimeters yeah. headspace. And that's what you got. And now obviously they uh, got the briefing a little bit earlier and uh, they they did it properly. And, and you can see the proportions of the car because that's really what was wrong with that first one. Mira, it had terrible proportions and that's what they nailed now. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's again sort of the, the, the basic story of uh, proportions surfacing and jewelry. And if you don't get the basis right, then, uh, you know, uh, an ugly human being with pretty eyes is still an ugly human being. Uh, that, that's basically uh, what the, the first one Mira was. Yeah, yeah. Next question. Next question, yeah. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, I, let, let's me, let me say something else, actually, then, what, uh, rather than a long trip. I'm going to tell you about uh, the first time I drove, that's actually for the, both the Tesla and Adventure Coupe, uh, to the photo shoot. You know, you, you go through this 
storm basically of designing a car for one year, one and a half year, sometimes two. And then suddenly the car is there and the, the day of the photo shoot is there. And uh, I drove Adventum to the photo shoot myself. And I deliberately, I don't have any music on then, you know, it's just me and the car. And, and you know, it was a, a relatively short drive uh, in the Netherlands only. And, you know, not that spectacular, just on the highway. But yeah. it, it was the first time I was alone with that car and I was driving. And that, that is just, it goes so deep in the brain. You know, this is this yeah. imprint. That's such a special feeling. Yeah. This is everything coming together in this one moment. And you're driving your, your own creation. That, that's a, truly special. So it wasn't necessarily the trip. Like I said, it was a simple highway drive. Yeah. But it was definitely the, you know, something very, very, um, yeah. So everything is culminating in that one moment. It you know? must be very special, yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would, uh, I would nominate that. Uh, cool. Yeah. Right. What's the most undervalued car at the moment? What do you think is undervalued? What's cheap? What should be worth more? That's an interesting one. Well, uh, there, there are many. Um, what, what I, what I, what I feel sad about, let's say, is that the i3 or BMW wasn't the success that it should have been. Mm-hmm. I think it's a car that's not understood completely. It is so special in every way. Sure, if you if you have driven one, but it's the, the the entire design thinking behind it is so unique. It's so well executed on every level. Way better, by the way, than the stuff they're doing now. Yeah, but that's a whole different story, and perhaps another <laughs> different podcast. Um, but the, I think the i3 is such a well executed piece of design. I mean, it's easy to say the i8 because it's obviously a sports car and it's wide and it's low and you know more impressive proportionally perhaps, but the, the design work behind the i3, the materials they've used, the production technologies, the, everything, again, there, everything is important too. You know, like the materials, for instance, they made the dashboard out of, is not ordinary plastic, which heats up in the sun if you power the car, mm. but it's like a natural fiber kind of thing, which is also easier to recycle and it's, it's friendly for the environment, and it doesn't heat up that quickly. So the air conditioning doesn't have to work as hard. Nice. So the battery is, you know, and that kind of thinking where everything is connected and where yeah. it's all, everything is relevant. And it's just, you know, it's a beautiful symphony, right? Everything comes together. And if one violin, uh, you know, uh, you know, messes up, then the entire orchestra yeah. is, 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 yeah, influenced by that one violin. And I think that the i3 is, is one of those cars, which I just, I wish that would have sold like, you know, millions of them because mm. that's what that type of thinking and that the daring projects that type of daring projects they, they need to be successful in the car industry yeah. otherwise you get all the same boring stuff that everybody is doing because ooh, we can't take any risks and you know it's the multiplas it's the i3s it's the you know the radical thinking that um, that people push through and they put their careers on the line yeah. for you know and that's the type of project that i wish would be more successful yeah uh, i think as in uh, on the in the bottom of the you know, the, the, the line as in the, the sales yeah yeah the um the i3 it's it definitely it's like a, it's, it's becoming sort of an iconic car mm. but it i think it was just a classic example of one of those cars that people weren't ready for exactly. people are still not really ready for electric cars yeah. and this came out ages ago yeah it was too early i guess and uh, it's super daring and uh, like i said i wish it would have been the start for a beautiful i range for bmw because they're yeah. still struggling with what that should be and how it should look like because of yeah, because of I guess they were a bit too early. It's you know, one of the first electric cars that 
which didn't try to look weird or whatever, because some people say, well, I have it just looks, no, it doesn't. It's a relevant shape. You know, there, there is a, a long bonnet on cars we like for a reason. It's because there's a massive engine underneath, Yeah. right? It, to just copy that. In a way, what Tesla did is understandable because they sell way more. So in that sense, perhaps yeah. uh, strategically a smart decision, but there could easily be a, a six-cylinder or even a V8 under that massive long bonnet, which isn't a bonnet. Um, so yeah. it's a, a, a design narrative that doesn't make any sense. You have this long platform. Why wouldn't you use it or make the platform smaller, right? Yeah. Make efficient use of space and make a better car for everybody in the world, right? It's easier to park. It's it's easier to get in and out of, you know, on many different levels. The i3 is brilliant. It's easy to get in and out of. has this little rear engine door that is easy to get to your children or the, the rear seat. Mm-hmm. Or it's easy, even as an adult or an adult, to get into the back of a small city car. I mean, try to get in the back of, you know, a three-door up or, yeah. or a little Fiat or whatever. It's hard. It's not in the i3. So it works on so many levels that, yeah, you just hope that people would have been a bit more receptive. Yeah, it's that thing we've talked about at the very beginning of like throwing out all the rules and preconceptions and just designing for the purpose, the new purpose yeah. of whatever we need. Yeah. yeah. I think if I was to buy a small electric car, I want something with that ethos. Yeah. I don't want a car that's been like a, a BMW 4 Series that is now electric. Yeah. It doesn't interest me at all. No. I feel like you've missed a lot of the point Absolutely. of making the car. Yeah. But yeah. It's, people don't seem to be ready for it yet. It, it, I know. Again, it's the, the big steps where in our collective conscience, a long nose is premium. Why is that? Because like 100 years ago, that was the case. The big engine needed a long nose, mm. right? And, and, and in 100 years, that has grown into our culture. And every, everything we do is, is sort of culturally driven, right? I mean, in, in Northern Europe, you still sell estate cars as, as Audi or Volkswagen, yeah. BMW. But in, in South of Europe, nobody wants to drive an estate car. And in China, everybody wants a sedan or an SUV, but definitely mm-hmm. not a station car. The same in the US. Why? Because it's culturally driven. It's so know? weird, that, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's the best. For me, for like an everyday car, I have an S4 estate, mm-hmm. Audi, and yeah. they... I don't understand why you wouldn't have an estate. Like yeah. it's just, I had a an M2 before that, which mm-hmm. is a, that was sort of a conflict in purpose of car, to be honest. But yeah. the that just that boot, the coupe boot, the yeah. the little open like that, yeah. is so impractical. Yeah, it's not even funny. It's ridiculous. <laughs> With all your stuff, I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. Like it's you just take impossible. half of the stuff that my photographer takes, then I can imagine that an M2 is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. like just getting it in. There's a reasonable amount of space, but just yeah. access is impossible. Yeah. 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 Right. Final question. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you looking up? What are you Googling? What are you going? Hmm. I Google so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. You put me on the spot here. Uh, That's the point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I shouldn't say too much uh, for your listeners, right? It's <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So much good stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I think what many brands are doing is, is interesting. Uh, when we discussed Volvo, I, I honestly think they do awesome stuff now. Yeah. You know, it, you maybe hear that I'm inclined to not go to the highest stuff here. Uh, I kind of do that deliberately because it's the easy stuff is to say, ah, it's you know, high end, two million pounds, Koenigsegg or whatever, yeah. exotic. You know, these cars are usually a bit easier to design as well because the budgets are. Limitless, you know, to spend 10 quid more on the, on the app, on yeah. the time, uh, solutions, whatever that may be. 
I mean, that's a difficult decision, you know. And you know, to make uh, your one-off uh, uh, McLaren something something, uh, yeah, like fifty thousand points more expensive. You can like, make yeah. decisions. Yeah, but you know, on the subject of McLaren, I think the seven twenty S is fantastic too. I, you know, I do some master classes on design as well on my own mm. YouTube channel, and I deliberately discuss the seven twenty because I just it's such an excellent, well-executed piece of car design. It's, you know, it's hard to shoot any holes into it. You know, it's just, it's so perfect on so many levels, so consistent, where the entire sculpture just works, you know, shut lines, everything is one integrable part of the design. Uh, yeah, I can really enjoy that if, if you can just see it, you know, yes, it's finished, you know, they put enough time in this to finish it, to not yeah. rush it to production for like, uh, you know, a month extra revenue perhaps on the car that's a bit like, uh, no, just finish it. It is a really, like you said, it is an amazing bit of car design. Like when you look at it from a, from a details, not like necessarily just a macro look, but like you look at all of the things they do and why they do it. The, right. like the seating position has to be really good. You've got to be able to access this. You need yeah. vision. They McLarens have, so, you can just see everywhere in a McLaren versus like so many other sports cars, like how they've packaged the spacing and everything. It is right. amazing. It's unfortunate they seem to have had a lot of issues with production and well one yeah. value but like just yeah. things break and that's not that's not ideal no it's not good yeah but yeah. yes as is a bit of design if, if i was to buy a modern supercar right now mm-hmm. a, a current sort of yeah. car yeah if i was going for something that was just like crazy fast and paddly like that yeah. sort of thing it, yeah. would, it have to be a 720s yeah. or a 720s spider or something because yeah. it's just yeah, it's, it's just so, so far ahead of like the 488 for me oh yeah 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 i i think what um what i've done in, in maranello is almost without any exception is just it's a bit messy, you know. Um, mm. Again, with all due respect for the for all the designers and all the work that goes into these projects, but it's just, you know, the elegance is is nowhere to be found. In, in perhaps the uh, what's that new car they've come out with? I had a complete mind blank. The the Roma. The Roma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's that's a lot better. Yeah. Uh, just quite- like like the SP one and two. Uh, these are these are properly you know cleaned Ferraris. And it's harder to make a clean car in that sense, you know. If, yeah. if you make something crazy wild with uh, features everywhere, and then you know people look at the features, they usually don't look at the proportions yeah. initially. They love to see, you know, weird elements in the grill and uh, mm. carbon fiber details on the mirror and all that kind of stuff. It's it's harder to design a clean piece of design. So yeah, I think that is that is fairly well executed indeed. Yeah. It's, fun, it's funny when you compare, let's say, that car, the SP1, SP2, mm-hmm. to the other of the same. I mean, they're all kind of pointless. Like the, those cars, yeah. they're all kind of pointless. But I've seen, I haven't actually seen the Aston or the McLaren in in person yet. Uh-huh. But when I when I saw the SP, I think it was an SP1 that I saw. Uh-huh. It it was the first time in a long time I'd looked at a, a new car and just gone wow yeah exactly. this is like a bit of car design history the interior i'm yeah it's not quite right but yeah. from an external point just looking at it and yeah. take some pictures and stuff I'm like wow this is amazing and i don't when i look at the this is probably a photography thing as well because the bloody sure. mclaren and the aston have just had really rubbishy well, yeah rubbish, again right like, like it's studio shoots like I wonder why you know like is, is anybody driving their car in the photo studio normally you know yeah. are they you know 
All right, and drive them somewhere else. It's they are expecting to take orders off the back of these photos. Yeah, they are expecting people to hand over whatever it is, eight hundred yeah. grand, nine hundred grand, million yeah. pounds, two million pounds, exactly. off the back of basically some photos and some specs. Yeah, and a brand. Sure, and then, and, and they it. they have done so much very well that people do this. But actually, I would you know, I I always think it's you don't respect your own work if you put it out in the world like that. You know, that's why oh. all the, you know, when we, when we do videos or, uh, you know, a photo shoot on our photograph card, there's an enormous amount of planning and work that goes into it before we do the shoot because it's, it has to be as good as the car. And if it doesn't say that, that, that same story, if you just throw it in a, in a space without corners, you know, a studio, yeah. and then say, okay, here it is. Yeah. What, you know, how should I use this thing or how big is it and why does it make it special and, you know, smaller or bigger than other cars and why is it like that? You know, yeah. in, in, in the studio, you don't understand half of it. And even, you know, you can fake everything with, with regards to reflections or, you know, yeah. you put a, a light box here or there or you take them away or, you know, some black uh, cloth here or there and you can make uh, even though the yeah, yeah. most terrible surfacing look good. But if you, <laughs> Look, uh, look at a car that is standing outside and you see a tree uh, or a building reflected in the, the body. That's it, you know? That's yeah. what it is. And and there's, it, it comes back to that expression, you know, you don't get, what is it, a second chance to make a first sure. impression. Yeah. And the, what was one that came out recently, uh, not that recently, Rolls-Royce Cullinan. Uh-huh. Uh, when that got launched, there was some of, I mean, the car in itself is interesting to look at, to be honest, mm-hmm. but the photos didn't help at all in the slightest. If you'd put it on a street outside a hotel and like in the right cool environment, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But all we got were these, this like bright, I think it was a bright red. Yeah. Kind of a engorged London taxi. Yeah. Um, and oh. and then everyone seems to get, get, get a load of flack because people were sharing these photos. It's like, this is not, Someone sharing your photos around is what you want. Yeah. It, but it's the negative comments that are going with the car that you don't want. So exactly. solve that to start yeah. with. Like, yeah. Just do it properly. Like, yeah. Either. Yeah. If I buy a new car or change a new car and I'm going to send a picture to a friend, okay, I might take a picture with an iPhone, but probably what I'll do is I'll wait. Yeah. Do a little photo shoot. Yeah. Put some effort into it and exactly. be like, okay, no, that's cool. And then yeah. I'll send a picture. It's yeah. I think it really shows respect or the total lack of it if, if you don't do it properly. It's uh, you know you you see a lot of crazy photoshopping going on as well in cars, right? Oh, yeah. Photos, it's just doesn't make sense, you know. I mean, there's photoshopping and there's photoshopping, and or be allowed in the Lightroom or whatever, mm. you know, just to uh, get I don't know the light, make uh, the colors look right and whatever, exactly. yeah. But but you know, again. We don't Photoshop our, our cars either. On that Ventum, like you said, we were in the rain, and the car was obviously professionally cleaned before we did the shoot. Yeah. We drove it through the rain, and uh, on one of the shoots, the side view shoots shots, you you see some of the mud sort of coming from the front wheel yeah. and uh, you know <laughs> against the side of the car. And the photographer asked me, like, "Yeah, shall I take it away?" Or you know, I was like, "Well, you know, just let's just leave it there. It, yeah. it is what it is." And you drive a car through weather like that, it's going to get dirty. going to so get dirty. It's yeah. fine. You know, this is the real world. And yes, we will have a bit of mud on one of the press images. You know, I can live with that because it's a real car. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the real honest story. Uh, why would we Photoshop a bit of mud away that, you know, would be on that car? 
because it is on that car in real life. So and it's it, yeah, it, it's it's that thing that humans can spot these things. They can yeah. spot. They don't know what they're spotting. Yeah, but they're like, there's a car driving around a racetrack, but it, it's not actually moving. Yeah, what's going on? Like, and then and then it just it just unravels the whole story you've built up and the image and the perception of that yeah. vehicle. If it's just if if you don't have that level, yeah, it, you know, it, it's better to have a photo that is in a way that is out of focus, but that is real, than you know <laughs> where you would you know ask somebody to yeah now make the wheels the wheels move in Photoshop please yeah yeah, yeah or make them a little bit bigger make yeah. the car oh, a bit lower number, yeah, the, yeah. This, you see this occasionally where the press shots of a car the car is lower mm-hmm. than the production yeah. you see it on some Italian brands yeah. where. The cars are really, they're really quite low. And then you get to the car in the street and you can put like a fist or two <laughs> yeah, fists in yeah, the wheel arches. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hang on a minute, guys. Like, what happened there? Yeah. Why, why are there eight kilos of like 40 kilos of rocks in the front yeah. of the car when you're shooting it? Yeah. And if that's what you think it should look like. Then make it look like Just that. make it like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's. Yeah, I, I don't get that either. It, it's, it seems uh, some, some brands do well, and it always seems that if, if things go well, that uh, the Jeep designer or at least the design studio is involved in pushing that process. Story through. Renault is a good example of that. They, they did this concept uh, with their, um, uh, what is it called, uh, the, the circle of life or something, the flower of life, or something like that, okay. with these pedals with like a red for the Z, the first concept car for fashion, and so they had these, all, all these different colors. They push these colors through through production. That, that's one, right? So apart from the concept, mm. the colors got pushed through uh, production. But then the ads had the same, you know, the same wording, the same phrasing, the same uh, colors uh, in print on billboards. It was just one consistent mm. flow. Of, it's the same message, and it sounds rather simple. But in such a big organization, that's really really hard to, you know, yeah, to pull to off. Keep it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so sometimes, sometimes things turn out okay. Even in organizations, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, in, in the end, it's it's pretty simple. It's about honesty. You know, just keep down the story and and leave all the nonsense behind. It's just there's honesty. Yeah, so many brands are just like not honest. Like I, you know, doing this process, talking to people, and one of the things I really enjoy is when I feel like I'm talking to the person. Like, funnily enough, because, and it, and if they're interacting and you're getting real answers and real questions, and yeah. I feel like I can ask any question yeah. and I'll get an answer or at least just like a real world situation. I think a lot of brands, they sort of live in this bubble where they're like, well, we create all this stuff and we do these things and the customers are down here and they will just buy our stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, And there's not really much interaction between the two and they don't really necessarily face up to some of the problems or the design issues or manufacturing issues or anything. And if someone asks them a question about it, they just like, like, don't talk about it. Don't tell me about it. This is not an issue. And then you fast forward like five years, 10 years. And they're like, but we don't sell any cars. And everyone says they're great. Like, well, Maybe people haven't been saying they're great. Yeah. But for whatever reason, there's some reasons why people don't buy your cars. Yeah. And you should listen to them and you should be okay with talking about that. Yeah. Because if you aren't, you've spent your 1.5 billion. Yeah. And people are not buying your cars. Yeah. Like who's lost out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the real story is sometimes hard to, I don't know, uh, to, to, I guess they don't like to hear it or um, it's, yeah, it's, in all honesty, it's one of the reasons why I'm not overly keen on getting uh, 
back into the car industry as such, yeah. the, you know, the regular uh, car design studios, because there's so much, excuse my French, but bullshit going on, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, you know, there, there are, like I said earlier, there are quite a few frustrated car designers because they have to do something they know they shouldn't do, but yeah. somebody forces them to do it. And then you have to sell this story in media, like, no, but yeah. this is, you know, I have a blah, blah, blah. No, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the other story. It's, yeah, but um, yeah, it that, I don't have to do that. I, like, like I said, yeah. I don't have a marketing person behind me now, like saying, don't, don't say this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it's something that I, I find it really difficult. And even though, like, I don't work for any brands, no brands pay me any money. Mm-hmm. So, but if someone lends me a car, if a manufacturer lends me a car, yeah. I, fi- I do find it really difficult to turn around to them and be brutally honest. If if I sat down and had like a long conversation with them yeah. Yeah. and I felt like I was talking to a person rather than a brand, yeah. I, I would be really honest. Like I, I, But it's, it is very difficult. Mm. And to have those conversations with people is difficult, especially if there's this, all this sort of like pressure yeah. behind the lines that, and then Absolutely. you just... But that's, you know, coming back to uh, what I'm doing, Coach, but that's mm. why I, I want to visit my clients at their home. Yeah. I, you know, it's not in a, in a hotel or not in a, you know, a restaurant or whatever, not in my place, because they are best and most honest when they're relaxed. Yeah. You know, and that's such a key element of the design process. And what we did with the, uh, the Future on the Taxi years ago was also trying to speak to taxi drivers, not in our design studio. We went out. We went. We, we actually were granted access to these uh, little shelters, the green shelters, you know, yeah. next to the, the main roads in London, where we spoke to taxi drivers on their breaks and we, we had them do the talk. Yeah. You know, like, tell us what you love about your taxi. Tell us what you hate yeah. about it. Be honest, you know. And you learn insights that in whatever fancy design studio with whatever fancy tool or massive budgets you would have never ever found out so you know your customers your end users have the end solution basically you know if you listen to them the only thing you have to do as a designer is translate that into the product it's as simple as that but it's you know you have to allow them the opportunity to speak out and, and make it comfortable enough for them to do so yeah i think it's like you said it's so important to get people on their own terms and all of the very nature of modern business and all, and these expensive companies and expensive brands just pulls you away from that straight away because mm-hmm. you go into a a dealership yeah. near me. There's a bunch of very nice dealerships, and for yeah. years they were locked. Like you had to buzz to get in. Yeah, and some of them, you, I think you still do. I don't know. And you walk across this massive expanse yeah. of open floor. Yeah. And it's quiet. Yeah. And no one talks. There's no music. Yeah. There's no the stuff eyes. in the room. Yeah. And you're like, uh, uh, yeah. uh. How do and you, you get dare to, the to go to our palace? Yeah. Who are you? Like, yeah. How, how can I, how can I help you? I just wanted to have a look around. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Cool. It's, it, yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. That, that's it. Like you, you've lost it. it. Yeah. I, I love the idea of some, there's some shops that are, yeah, I think the motorbike industry has done it quite well. Mm. Uh, not, I don't know whether the big brands do it, but well, Tesla, Tesla is actually one of the few brands that kind of understands that people don't want to go to these car boulevards or whatever, what they call, you know, somewhere on the yeah. gloomy industrial estate, and you can go to Volkswagen and Audi and Vauxhall, I don't know, yeah. all at the same time. And why do you really do you like to go there, or do you need to go there? Yeah. Right? 
people enjoy shopping. They go shopping for bags or for shoes or whatever, have a little drink, and, you know, it's nice. And then you have to go out of the city into this industrial estate, you know, passing quarries yeah. and, you know, terrible businesses you didn't know exist. And then, oh, yeah, then there is the entrepreneurship or whatever. So why not take that into a different space? And, and Tesla was one of the first, I think, that experimented with that. And, um, you know, there's, there's an, an interesting one as well. Uh, Audi London, they have this showroom in close to Piccadilly Circus. And they, rather than having like 20 or 30 cars inside of a big glass building, they have, I think, maximum three cars fit, fit yeah. in there physically. And they have this big power wall. Right, so you can design your own. Uh, it's called Audi Exclusive, your own bespoke yeah. of Audi there. And due to that system, where it was not about you know intimidation with this like large shop yeah. and uh, you know all these cars standing there, but it was about you as a person seeing your future Audi come mm. to life because you pick that color and you pick that interior decor with yeah, the carbon fiber, yeah. and you could then see it driving away on this big screen full mm-hmm. size. You know, with the engine, you choose, and your know, people went went crazy. And, and the amount of money spent there on Audi Exclusive was, I think, like 60% higher than in the really? average dealership. So, you know, it, it tells you a story, right? Like mm. these dealerships are apparently not necessarily the best way of letting somebody part with uh, 20, 30, 100K. Yeah. Because they is- don't feel well there, you know. Yeah, that thing I was saying about the the motorbike shops, like occasionally you get motorbike shops mm-hmm. that sell motorbikes, but they also sell clothes. Yeah. And they're also a coffee shop. And there's a few dealerships around that you have this sort of atmosphere that they just feel like they're a cool place. Yeah. And they've got music playing and they yeah. might have some neon lights or whatever. Like they've just got some atmosphere. And I, I know it's very must be very difficult if you are a big brand to just add atmosphere and coolness mm-hmm. to your showroom because that's not your your audio like you no know, we're clinical and german and yeah whatever so it, it it's very difficult but like you said it doesn't it doesn't invite people to buy cars it doesn't invite people to go in i well, don't feel comfortable i, I would going always to disagree showrooms. Uh, I, would, I would say i disagree with what you're saying and i think there's always a possibility for any brand to make relevant choices you know so sure yeah. audi is this germanic brand and it's you know the technical approach is super important. So, you know, they, they shouldn't build a showroom in like a, a cottage. No, sure. But they, sh- they should build a place where people feel happy. And because and, they, Audis are cars people want to have. So yeah. if you design your shop, let's say, let's not call it a showroom where you're, uh, you know, your shop as if you would design your Audi interior where clearly people feel happy because they want to buy an Audi. Yeah, yeah. That's true. There is a, you know, there's a story. And, Make it make it nicer, make it a bit more cozy. And Mike, you can make your Audi interior nice because people feel happy in an Audi interior. So why not make this showroom uh, in a way look more like your car, not in a literal sense, but in a conceptual sense, right? People yeah, hundred percent. Like yeah. that, I hadn't. I guess that makes sense. Like approach your showroom how you would design a car. Yeah, like for your customers exactly to yeah. make it the best. Yeah, because. the you know, they know what they're doing with that regards. You know, it's the, 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 the most beautiful fits, the most beautiful materials, you know. Everybody's always comparing their cars with an Audi, right? Yeah. Is it as well put together as an Audi? And, wow, well, why don't you make your showroom, your shop, uh, your experience center, whatever you want to call it, as nicely put together as an Audi interior, you know? And it's going to change the way, 
people experience coming to the brand. I, I know in the Netherlands there is a, an Audi dealer who actually uh, it's a Volkswagen Audi dealer, so they have two yeah. sort of uh, you know buildings on the same lot, and in between there is um, I, I think they call it their Alp or something like that. There is a separate building yeah. where people can come together. There's a bit of music. There's some food. You know, there's a kitchen there, so there's a, there's a chef uh, preparing nice meals, decent coffees, uh, that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's it's quite successful. And this is something they did on their own. This is not obviously signed off by Audi, yeah. but it's not like an Audi concept, so to speak. And you know, so you see dealerships that are you know try to think a little bit outside of the box there and uh, understand that this is important. And you know, it, it's about making people feel happy in the end, so yeah. they'll part with a, a bigger chunk of money. It's simple as that. And good design does that. Yeah, 100%. Making your customers feel comfortable. I know talking to people that sell multi-million pound cars and stuff, they they, they focus on just their customers having a great time, yeah. whatever whatever the hell it is. Because yeah. they only need a few and they make sure that they're having a great time. Yeah. Whatever it is, they make sure they're having a great time. And invariably, when it comes to that time when they want to buy a car, they'll probably buy it through you. That, that, like, that's, yeah. that's how it works. Yeah, if, absolutely. If, if you could turn your dealership into somewhere that people want to hang out, spend a bit of time at, yeah, exactly. when it comes around to buying a car, they've got a bit more brand affinity yeah, and they're going to come to you. They'll definitely come to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just like normal life. You know, you want to spend people with people, time with the people you like. It's, yeah. It's, it's not all rocket science. It's, and it's, pretty it's plain and such large amounts of money, such large amounts yeah. of money involved for all of these things. Yeah. Sometimes they, they overcomplicate things and, and they miss the point. You know, what, what is the reason you're doing this? Why are you selling cars? You know, are you selling cars to, you know, a specific group of people? Make these people feel at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's simple, but you know, sure. it, it's it's not simple to execute. That's clear. No, you no, know, I'm sure. Talk to people. So many, so many are unhappy about the experience at the dealership. That's yeah. It's quite a story about you know the car in general. It's, uh, it is. Yeah, it is. Quite a bit to oh. improve still there. But, you know, upwards and onwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks so I've, much for inviting me. I've, uh, sure. I've enjoyed talking to you. We've had a, a solid nice. bunch of different stuff we've talked about. Absolutely, yeah. And when you're next back in London, you should go for a coffee or something. Yeah, well, I only do tea, so if that's okay. Um, okay, yeah. I, can, uh, <laughs> I can drink coffee. You I, can drink I, tea. You know, my 10 years in London, you indoctrinated you might feel like so coffee is now out of the question it's just the, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the the britain me i would say and uh, come to but uh, yeah cool. let's do that let's catch up with a cup of tea alone next time yeah yeah for sure all right well thanks very much thanks uh, thanks sam and uh, speak soon cheers all right have a good one even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.